Hello everyone and welcome to Last Heart Left, a, I don't know what we can even call this podcast, a video game quote-unquote podcast? It's, it's the whatever podcast, man. It honestly is the whatever podcast, we don't have restrictions. It's just that we choose to spend most of our free time playing video games for some reason, because we're idiots. Uh, ooh, those game awards, huh? Rise up. Um, yeah, we're not here to talk about the three-hour Keeley Spectacular, though, because that was... We all uneventful. We all know how that went. Uh, yeah, maybe not in the future, but I encourage you if you're listening to this in like 2025, if we still have like a inhabitable Earth by then, uh, go look up uh, the Game Awards 2019 and watch all three and a half hours of it and be very depressed because it was boring. Yeah, there's like only like two minutes of it that was worthwhile. One of them was the No More Heroes Three dupe. Uh huh. The other was Revo. Fucking bravely default two. We have an email about that. Actually, we should introduce ourselves. That's a good way to in- to start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm I'm Roz and I host this shit show. I'm Fang, also known as Jeff Keeley. Um, you may remember him from the first episode of Last Heart Left with my good friend Hideo Kojima, who is totally my friend. Yep. Yep. It's <laughs> we're talking about Death Stranding. Yep. It's me, Hideo Kojima, aka Mark. <laughs> Yeah. Mark, is this the first time you've been on any of my podcasts? I think so. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've been talking since 2013. I mean, to be fair, there was also a brief period of time where... I, I'm just going to recap this for the audience, because this is one of the most fucked up stories of my life. I was in a Skype group with Mark in, like, 2013... And then that Skype group eventually just kind of faded away, as Skype groups do. And then, like, he popped back into our lives later on in another Skype group, like, two years later. And, it like, a solid year went by before any of us realized it was the same Mark. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, hanging out with these same dudes. I'm just like, wait, did they even remember me? <laughs> no, it was, it was really awkward. Yeah! It's like, like, wait a... Because I think that conversation started where we said, whatever happened to Mark, and you were there. (laughs) Yeah! I was like, I'm right here. (laughs) It's a very... To be fair, to be fair, you did not talk much of that old group. Yeah, I didn't. Anyways, we're all here now, and we're, we're talking about a series that is very near and dear to my heart, and I feel like I've talked about... I've... There is, like, a 0% chance I've never talked about this, at least in some other form, at least, like, just referencing it on a podcast or something similar. We're here to talk about Saga, which is a RPG series put out by Square and then uh, later on Square Enix after the merger, which is experimental, cutting edge, maybe not bad. Uh, Um, That's the way to say it. (laughs) I mean, okay, cutting edge and the fact that it hurts. Uh, yeah, it hurts, but like it hurts, but it's good hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's um a very peculiar JRPG series that actually goes way way back to um well, it, it the main person behind its name is Akitoshi Kawazu, who I actually can't remember if he was there from the beginning per se. Uh yeah, um, he was definitely there for Final Fantasy 1 at least. Yeah. Because basically what Saga is, um, to recap, which I, I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, most of you probably know the deal with Final Fantasy 1 to Final Fantasy 2. Final Fantasy 1 came out, major hit in the RPG genre, 
kind of helped shape what the genre would become as uh, console RPGs started to boom. Final Fantasy 2, well, aside from the fact it never even came out west, um, very bizarre structure, uh, made a lot of very peculiar, uh, how, how should we say, character progression mechanics happen, uh, which involved characters leveling up by... Well, actually, not leveling up. They gained stats by basically using whatever technique or relevant stat in battle, and then if you survived the encounter, your character would grow. So, like, if you blocked a bunch of attacks, your character would get better at blocking. If you used bows a lot, your character would get better at using bows, which sounds very intuitive, but led to a lot of very, very strange mathematical issues that make Final Fantasy II, in my opinion, one of the weaker entries in the series. Uh, I've played that game three times, and I've really tried to like it every single time. I have never come out of that experience uh, having a good time. No matter what re-release I play, no matter, just, it's, uh, just never works for me. It's a rough one. Um, yeah, so so Final Fantasy 3 kind of course-corrected. And then... The Final Fantasy II crowd, a.k.a. Kawazu, kind of <laughs> took his ball and was um was allowed to go and make his own JRPG series for the Game Boy because that was coming out and they needed a, you know, they needed a role-playing game that was short and, you know, was Square Enix and all that and able to put something out on the Game Boy platform. And that's how we got Saga, which uh, the first three games came over here as Final Fantasy Legend 1, 2, and 3. Uh, that's how I discovered the series, at least way back in the day. I don't. Do you guys go back that far, or? Uh, so ironically, I'm very baby in that. Um, I only seriously jumped on with Romancing Saga 2's release in 2017, I believe. For um, that was the uh localized version. Um. For PS4, Nintendo Switch, and all that, Android. But, but um, I mean, I tried playing the, um, was it? I tried playing Romancing Saga and Romancing Saga Three on emulators before, but like they didn't really stick at the time. That was like way back when. But yeah, I don't go back to the Game Boy games. Mark, how far do you go back? Because I know that this is also a childhood series for you, but I feel like it's probably, because of the age gap between us, probably in a very different way. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, sometime in, like, 2012 or 2013, I saw a copy of Romancy Saga Minstrel Song in a game store, and I was like, hey, that looks cool, but I didn't have enough money to buy it at the time, so I was just like, let me look up what this is on the internet. So I did, and I ended up finding up. A- <clears throat> I ended up finding a ROM of Romancing Saga 2 online, so I played that, even though I didn't understand a lick of it, and I was like, hey, this is cool. <laughs> so I tr- And then after that, it just kind of went from there. I think there was like... And I think, like, when the uh, Romancing Saga 2 came out on the uh, Switch in Japan, uh, actually PS Vita in Japan, yeah, that <laughs> back in 2016. <laughs> <coughs> back in 2016 for the Vita in Japan, I... Uh, got that, and I was, and I followed like a guide through it, so I could actually understand what the fuck was going on. And I was like, "Hey, this is actually pretty good. Let me actually seriously try and play all these games." And then it kind of just went from there. There you go. Yeah, yeah I, I so I played Saga one and two 
Uh, now, those games are technically even before my time, but just, like, back in the day when you're a young kid with a Game Boy, it's very easy to go to flea markets or just, like, use whatever places and find really cheap Game Boy carts, and that's how I got Saga 1 and 2, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were very cheap, uh, those two particularly. Never picked up Saga 3, which is kind of a more traditional take on the RPG genre. Yeah, I didn't play no, that until that a little bit later. the Mystic Quest, that's right. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Or I think I think they went on to make Mystic Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just plays a little more what you think Final Fantasy should play like. Uh, but funny enough, the plot of that game is that there's a giant sink in the sky and it won't turn off, and you have to turn off the giant faucet in the sky or else the world is going to flood, which is incredibly funny. <laughs> plus plot. <laughs> but <laughs> it's... This series is a lot. Uh, I eventually played through Saga Frontier when I was younger, and I didn't even realize that they were connected because of the branding difference. Uh, I mean, I was young, I wasn't really online, you know, quote-unquote at the time, so I didn't even realize that Final Fantasy Legend and Saga were the same series, just because, you know, branding or whatever. And I rented Saga Frontier 2, I never got super far into it or beat it, uh, and I've always meant to go back and really play through that game, though I know it kind of has issues, but I mean, all these games do. Um, and then, yeah, like, uh, later on, like, I dabbled in the series, like, Romancing Saga, Minstrel Song, like, I've kind of, like, touched all of these games to varying degrees, uh, but it's only really, like, the earlier parts of the series, like, Saga 1 through 3 and Saga Frontier 1, uh, were mainly what really hooked me, uh, Romancing Saga, I never really gave the time of day until recently, um, at least 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, just in general now, it seems like Square Enix is aware that there is a there is a market for these games outside of Japan because for a while we just weren't getting them. I think after Unlimited Saga kind of burned the bridge there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be fair, not a lot of Saga games were being released in general yeah. during that period of time. But yeah, yeah, it it was a lot of mobile and b- browser based stuff, and then the DS remakes came out for Saga Two and Saga Three, and they just didn't even bother because they figured they wouldn't sell well, which sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I also th- I think they probably would have. Yeah, because, I don't know. I yeah, like it was a time where like RPGs on like handhelds were like a big thing. Yeah, you so got like I, you're coming off the Chrono Trigger yeah, boom yeah, for like Chrono yeah, Trigger DS. That's and like Final Fantasy Three and Four. DS too. Oh yeah. And also I knew at least at the time I knew a lot of people that really loved Final Fantasy Legend 1 through 3 yeah. as when they were younger and really wanted to play those remakes cuz they, you know, just were like, "Oh, it's your childhood game, but just way more complex and better and it looks pretty." Yeah. And they just never they just never did. They though to be fair, I feel like those came out in, like, 2009 to 2011, and I feel like that time especially, Square was really fucking weird with what they were choosing to localize. Yeah. Compared to now, especially. Um, but yeah, like, recently, like, I, I think Saga and also the Mana stuff, they're starting to realize, like, hey, wait, we have a backlog of a bunch of shit that people are just, like, rom-hacking and fan-translating, and there's enough people still interested that we can just put out ports of it, and people are gonna buy it if it's cheap enough. 
So yeah. thank God they finally did that with the mana stuff because oh my god, when that <laughs> yeah. collection came out for Switch and it didn't come over, I was so upset. Yeah, I... <laughs> it still blows my mind. We're having we have an official version of Seiken Densetsu three in English, yeah, yeah. the sixteen bit version. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> it's really fucking like just think about that alone. In like the last two years, we have gotten official localizations of three sixteen bit SNES RPGs. Like obviously they're like re-releases but still that's so weird yeah this, this is really weird i even bought like the was it the japanese version of that mana collection when i was over there i never thought that mana collection yeah, was gonna same. come out so, like, yeah I was same just playing it on my switch like in japanese picking up like oh here's the heal item gotta remember that those characters yep God, i haven't done that with the game since um well, actually, I did that with SMTF. I always forget that I did that with SMTF, but SMTF and Mother 3 are the two. Oh, I, I'm playing the game in an emulator window and with the translation dock and the other. God. Oh, yeah. I want to do that with Mizerna Falls at some point, but that's going to be a time sink. So. Yeah. Man, that was me referencing Saga 2. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And also, too, just um, the series celebrated its 25th I think it's celebra it's celebrating a anniversary soon. Hold on, let me let me look here. Yeah, it it's celebrated its thirtieth anniversary this year. Yeah. And I know that they um just Square Enix put out a thing like, hey, uh the saga re release train isn't stopping in twenty nineteen. And also just please look forward to more saga in general. So who knows? This is kind of an exciting time for the series, uh, especially one that's so niche, but it seems like Especially now in the age of the internet, where people like us can highlight these things yeah. and be heard by at least a couple, couple few dozen people, um, I think this series is very good for word of mouth praise, and I, I hope we convince a few people through this podcast to really give it a try. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't. Know, do we want to at least talk about a little bit, like what does saga mean to all of us? Because to me, there's. I think the thing that separates Saga from other RPG series, if I had to really put it down to bullet points, is this idea that you aren't in full control of your character's development, and the idea that the world is like this living entity that is there to be explored, the main plot be damned. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I trying to think on this, like I mean, I got into the series for Romancing Saga 2, which I really love, and I I do agree with, like, the world being, like, a sort of focal point of the series. I really, like, I enjoy, like, um, it's really weird, because I don't think, like, exploration in the traditional sense is really what Saga, or at least the more romancing saga onwards parts of the series are really about because it feels a lot more like the exploration of like information rather than space if that makes any sense like yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. like it's weird because it's like yes there is like a sort of world with like oh like here's some different locales of like oh the temple of um what what's his face? What's her face? The matriarch, I think that was in yeah. the Romancing Saga three. 
and all that, where it's like, yeah, there is definitely, like, world-building and stuff like that, but the lore isn't nearly as important as just, like, the actual, like, quest lines that you do, stuff like that. So, yeah. it's, it's exploration in a sense that I think is very different than, like, the traditional sense of what we think of that term in terms of, like, immersion or, like, aesthetics. So... I think there's a lot of interesting things like that, where um, that and, like, as you say, character progression is not really in the player's control, that the games are... It. I feel like Saga is very antith- antithetical to what RPGs tend to be nowadays. I mean, even just... Even back then, even, like, RPGs usually have systems that tended to be power fantasy-ish, which, to be fair, in a lot of Saga games, there are broken systems that you can exploit to become gods. We're going to talk about capitalism in a little bit Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. But um, there's definitely a lot of ways the games really push back on, like, not just in battle but like in even just growth itself that is really like i think gives it a much different challenge that may turn off a lot of people which i mean we've seen in oh yeah the series is niche as fuck yeah Yeah. what about you mark How, how do you feel what what defines saga to you i mean pretty much what y'all said but like i'd also like to add like in, in a lot of Saga games, there's, like, the premise of, of, like, the entire story is, like, something that's rather unique in, like, a lot of yeah. Saga games. Yeah, yeah, that's another well, thing. These te- these games tend to be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Romancy of Saga 1 is, like, eh, whatever. So Saga 3 is, like, hey, <laughs> turn off the fucking faucet in the sky, dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, even Saga 1 is this, the premise of that game is, okay, in the center of our world is a tower that every floor takes you to a different reality. Go climb that tower and talk to God. And it's like, huh, okay. Uh, Okay, Game Boy RPG in the early 80s, early, late 80s being like, hey, go talk to God. (laughs) It's really weird. Yeah, and like, I feel like the... That sort of aspect, like, I think is also really special in some cases, like Romancing Saga 3, which we'll get into, that I think also really helps it stand out, because, I mean, not gonna lie, like, part of my enjoyment of Saga is mainly also just aesthetics. Like, these games have really good art most of the time, except for some games like Saga Frontier that kind of has, like, a whatever that's more weird. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Saga Frontier. Yeah, like, the difference between Saga Frontier 1 and 2 in terms of art direction is, like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) I'd even say Romancing Saga 1 to Romancing Saga 2. Yeah. Romancing Saga 1 feels very white bread, like, 16-bit RPG. Romancing Saga 1 looks like a mediocre Final Fantasy 4 ROM hack. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Uh. And honestly, that's one thing that I've been thinking about, especially as I've been given Romancing Saga 3 a go. This series, the more that I play it, 
marks this it feels like an alternate universe or like parallel timeline final fantasy yeah, yeah. and the the thing i keep thinking about is final fantasy 1 it's very well known that that game took a lot of inspiration from dungeons and dragons and just in general the developers experience with tabletop roleplay yeah. and you take that you take you take the kind of generic like we're going to rip off star wars for final fantasy 2 and then you get saga which the more i experience this um and i mean this is just all over the place in unlimited saga in particular <laughs> which is why i think a lot of gamers did not like yeah. it yeah uh these games feel like I'd say they're some of the closest JRPGs get to feeling like tabletop gaming and tabletop storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just, I mean, in the way that so many of the stories of these games start with your character caught up in their own bullshit and then just happening to stumble onto people also caught up in their own bullshit and just the freeform exploration of it all that eventually leads to it spilling over into what could be considered a main quest. Yeah. It is very, very unique in how it handles all yeah, of that. Yeah, and I'd say, like, even with that, like, sort of handling that Saga has of the tabletop idea, like, it doesn't go into the tabletop idea, like, Western RPGs, per se, of, like, oh, here's, like, infinite amounts of choices. I mean, granted, there is a lot of choice in Saga games, but... It feels more like they're channeling the tabletop RPG energy of, like, you and the boys doing, like, a D&D session on, like, a Saturday. Like, there's just a lot. Oh, no, Timmy ran into the dark yeah. ruins. Go save him. Oh, no, there's a lot of rats! <laughs> oh, no, there's a lot of rats. Yeah. <laughs> this, the rats are a problem. Please help yeah. us. Like, um, it's real wild in that same energy i feel sometimes and there, there's even just a lot of stuff like kind of talking about the world building and stuff before i guess we're gonna talk about we're, we could start talking about romancing saga 3 which all of well you two both beat i started playing <laughs> yeah. it a little bit ago i'm five hours in uh so you know i got a solid chunk out of it yeah and i mean even there's this part like, I feel like this one area alone is a good, I think a good signifier of what Saga, at least Romancing Saga world building is like. So, you start out Romancing Saga 3, at least, I, I'm pretty sure Romancing Saga 3, most of the characters start out in kind of the same general area. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so, literally to the west of the starting town is this place called the Archfiend Palace, which is like, the Dark Lord's citadel from thousands of years ago where like the big battle was fought between the the ancient matriarch who is d this holy hero who you know stopped all these demonic entities from entering the world and all that and it's just still kind of there and the way all of the npcs in the town talk about it is kind of like it's a tourist yeah yeah <laughs> like like, you talk to a guy kind of outside of it, and he's like, I mean, you can go in there, a bunch of adventurers and young people like to, but, I mean, it's been there for thousands of years, and everything's kind of picked through. Like, he's really talking about it like you, there are better things to do. Yeah. And sure enough, you go inside there, and all of the treasure chests are open, and there's nothing yeah, there. It's, all it's, 
it's it's just kind of a shithole. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. We'll get to um, this later, but like you can even buy the Archfiend Palace in yes. the capitalism mini game. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. And then like, two hours later, I buy the rights to the palace, and I'm like, I guess I own this ancient evil Citadel Palace yeah. thing that that the world almost. It was almost the epicenter of the end of the world a few like thousand a, years ago. Okay. Like imagine if, like, in, like, a Final Fantasy game, you bought out, like, the, one of the temples for, like, the four crystals. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah this, you're just like, I, I own this place I get, now. I get re- I, and I get revenue every quarter from it, which is the funniest yeah. thing in the world. It's so good. Yeah, it's... It is wild. Or even, um... There's a side quest where, I mean, there, there's a lot of these weird mini-games and stuff, but one of them uh, that I access to, I don't know if either of you did the blacksmithing stuff. Uh, I did a no. little bit of it, yeah. Okay. The The hook of that is the matriarch, who again is this ancient, like, hero from thousands of years ago, had this one spear that she stole from a demon, and then... Yeah, yeah ended up having reforged at this one blacksmith, and then after the fighting was done, she gave the spear back, and it became this, like, keepsake that people from all over the world would go to this blacksmith for. And someone just, like, stole the spear and killed the dude running the smith shop, and it's not even, like, go get the spear back because we needed to stop the evil encroaching on our world. It's more like, man, we're losing money real bad. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, a family heirloom. Can we get that back? It's really, really weird. Yeah. Uh, um, which, um, Rosin, which character do you start off with? I chose Katarina. Okay. Who I'm probably going to call Catalina at some point because the fan translation called her Catalina yeah. and the official localization is using Katarina. So. Yeah, okay, because I was going to say, like, I also started with Katarina. Um, super cool character design, by the way. She's dope. Um, oh, yeah, she's the best. Um, but um, I think that quest is really interesting because, like, it feels very intertwined with, like, Katarina's initial quest of, like, oh, man, the legendary Masquerade is stolen because I got too close to uh, some imposter of the kingdom's lord that I really like, so... Yeah! Okay. <laughs> I... I'm gonna set this- I was talking to Mark about this earlier, because this is the funniest fucking thing. So, Katarina's quest- all the characters have, like, a little prologue scenario you play through. Katarina's thing starts with this attempted coup that she ends up uh, helping fight against. And then after the coup attempt fails or whatever, and uh, she's just kind of chilling- the Marquis, who was one of the people yeah, who Marquis. she helped fight against and basically employs her to watch over her sister as, like, the top bodyguard or whatever, uh, he comes out and starts talking with her and starts to basically be like, hey, I got the hots for you. And she's like, oh my god, really? Me too. And they go off screen and it fades to black and I'm kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what they're implying there. And then it cuts back to them talking later, still all lovey-dovey, and it turns out that it wasn't actually the Marquis. It was a guy shape-shifting as him, and he steals her spear, which is, again, uh, another family heirloom thing. Uh, the Actually, the masquerade is a dagger, or... I don't, I don't remember... It's a greatsword that transforms into a spear. 
No, it's. I'm pretty sure it's a dagger or short sword that turns into a great sword. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I. Anyway, is this cool transforming yeah. weapon that you actually get to st you start the game with, and it's really powerful. And this asshole just steals it from you while while basically impersonating the dude who your character has a huge crush on. And then the next scene cuts to her telling this to the Marquis, who is back sitting on his throne. And he immediately just goes, you're exiled until you get it back. And the princess is like, isn't that a little harsh? And she's like, no, I need to prove it to him. And just, it's this hard cut from just the, the most, like, loving but artificial version of this man to the harsh reality of, like, oh, he's kind of an asshole. And didn't you say, Mark, that Mikhail's kind of an asshole in the other scenarios, too? Yeah, like, in fucking, like, Callan's scenario, like, right after he sends his sister off with, like, Thomas and the other fucking party members to go, like, to meet this vampire dude, Callan's all like, are you sure she's gonna be okay? Aren't you worried about her? And he's all like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just love that because he is the most stereotypical, like, nobleman, swordsman guy that you would expect to be the quote-unquote hero of this game, and he's just a dick to everyone from what I can tell so far. <laughs> I can't even go back to- I am literally banished from the hometown of this game oh, until man. I finish that quest. And later on, <laughs> like, if you do some things out of order, which I did, like, you will never be able to even go back back into the castle even if you get back into the town so oh my god <laughs> it's yeah. he's the real treasure that guy yeah he's a real <laughs> treasure there oh <laughs> uh, uh. but yeah no like that initial matriarch spear quest was interesting because you don't have to do it and in fact from what i've seen online like it's very easy to like even miss out on like the party member that you get from doing that oh nora yeah nora um she's the best by the way she's, she's so powerful she's really good like i ended up dropping her for like other weirder party members which we can get to later <laughs> but uh, yeah. there is a man who is literally a lobster named boston yeah. there's a snowman <laughs> Oh yeah, I forgot there's a yeah, snowman. You you snow, were both were talking about that. Snow. Oh my god, we have to talk about the thing of the snowman later in one of the yeah. fucking <laughs> Oh, one of the yeah. fucking boss fights later. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, but I specifically replaced Nora with like an elephant man you get later on. It's great. <laughs> but oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that um, elephant man is like super powerful. Oh, by he's the way. so busted. He's like yeah, he's so broken. <laughs> I I ran into like the I accidentally ran into like the super strats with that guy of the dragon god magic, but oh lord, we can get into that later. Yeah, like for those of you wondering what the hell this game even is, the answer is a lot of things. It's a lot of things, but. Like, you start out with this, the very basic, like, mythology of the world, like, oh, uh, every, like, every some hundred years, there's this thing called, is it called the Death Eclipse or the Dark Eclipse? Something uh, like something that. Something like that. I forget if the localization calls it something else. But it's, it's something like that, and then these demon lords oh, called Sinistrals. Oh, it's, it's ro localized as Norastrom, I think. Morastrom or oh, something. It, okay. Yeah, it was a... I, I prefer Death Eclipse. It gets the point across easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, just like it, it threatens to eradicate all life, and there's always these demon lords called Sinistrals. Shoutouts to Lufia too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> literally the same name that kind of took me aback. Yik! Um, ah, why? <laughs> and yeah, eventually this matriarch woman stood up and fought against them, and now you're kind of living at this time where their threat all these demonic entities are com- threatening to come back and no one really knows what to do but fuck all that because yeah, who cares? what actually matters is that most of the characters seem tied to this royal family that's struggling with a lot of weird political strife and turmoil right now and everything sucks and everyone has their own bullshit to deal with and eventually i guess maybe we'll figure out that demon thing when we get to it, it's so weird yeah, for a setup. Like, well, yeah. we can get to it later, but like the way that this main plotline just suddenly comes up at the very end is very abrupt. Well, I didn't even know what I was. I did not know what the main quest of this game. Like, I mean, obviously from the beginning, I kind of figured from you know the opening cutscene intro thing or whatever. Like, okay, this is probably going to be the big problem that we're going to solve at the end or whatever, yeah. right? I'm five hours in, and I went to an astronomer's hut at the edge of a very northern snowy town, and he basically went, hey, there's four portals to hell that are about to open back up, and it's going to be a real problem. You need to take care of those. Here's where all of them are. Probably maybe wait on that until you feel like you're strong enough. And I went, okay, I guess five hours in, I finally know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) And I just found that by going to a town that was on the map that I didn't go to yet. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. Also, a cool thing to know is that I think, what's that town called again? Like Lance. Lance. What? Lance, yeah. The cool thing about that is that in Khaled's storyline, that's actually like the first town that's just like. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna go up to this town and like check out everything there, so I can see the uh, what's that case called, the Palace of the Matriarch? Yeah, the her tomb or whatever. Yeah, like he's gonna. He said that he's gonna go up there so that he can see what's up, up going on there, and like that's okay. that's like a cool indicator to just be like, hey, run into this house and see what the main quest is. <laughs> I I had a really funny because he's shortly there in Katarina's intro and the only info you get on him I mean I knew he was one of the choosable characters for the start of the game but the only info you really get is Mikhail saying like hey I'm gonna pay you real well for this one and he's like yeah and you kind of get this sense like oh this guy's a total sellsword and I kind of just got from that he was kind of more of like a roguish thief character who's nicknamed Tornado which is also very funny (laughs) um so as Katarina, I, I'm i like, okay, I should probably check out this matriarch tomb. I bet there's some important shit in there. And he's just standing in there, and I'm kind of like, the fuck are you up to in here, yeah. buddy? And my party was... I mean, he's there to be recruited if you want him in your party, but my party was full, so I just went up to him, and he just went, yo, and said nothing else. And I went, I don't know how I feel about you being here all, all alone. Yeah. It's a little suspicious, bud. Yeah. But... Also, also, unfortunately, Khaled is not a very good party member. <laughs> like he's a, oh, that's unfortunate. Like he's the first character that I chose, and I'm just like, ugh. He he has like a specific spot in like his uh uh armor that's like you can only equip like sabers in this one like weapon slot. And I'm just like, wow, that sucks because <laughs> sabers are very few and far between weapons. 
<laughs> yeah. Did either of you recruit the orphan child who forcibly joins your party? Yes. And... Uh, yeah. Wait, yeah. what orphan child? Uh, in the first town in the game, there's an orphan who you walk up to, and she's like, "I want." Yeah, play I used her throughout the entire game. <laughs> I don't know what I should do with her build-wise. She's just kind of there, and it's very awkward. Yeah, she's good with swords. Um. <laughs> okay, that's what I have her on, and I think I gave her a few water-based spells. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, man. Fang, you kept her, dude. As soon as I got her, I was like, nah. As soon as I figured out how to get okay, her out of that party, I was yeah. like, bye. That, <laughs> okay, so that's valid, but also as someone playing the game for the first time, like, man, I don't have any party members. How am I going to live? Let me just pick up yeah. this random orphan girl. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's it's some dude. Can we talk about the capitalism mini game? Yes. Oh my god! Yes, I oh I played through like all of it. Like <laughs> that. <laughs> Y'all, well, as soon as I got into that capitalism mini game, because after I picked Kaladin and figured out he wasn't that great, I went to Thomas as my main character, and that's, like, his main thing. Yeah. Once I started that, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, um... So, for Catalina, how this happened for me is I... A child goes missing in the big bad Archfiend pal palace ruins or whatever. So, I went and saved him, which made me have really good reputation with this one woman in town, who is friends with Thomas, who is friends with another guy, who then approaches you for a meeting, and he goes, hey, I want you to form a mega corporation," And it's like, oh, okay, word? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's, that's about the same as my experience, first time. And then you go to a bunch of different trading, like, business trading agents in every town. There's one in every town. Sometimes they're the mayor, even. Yeah. And you just buy up businesses, get mon generate revenue every quarter, hope that other people don't buy out businesses from you, which really fucking sucks when it happens. Yeah. And then when you what? So like every type of business also has different. Like for for example, on my thing, I bought up a bunch of different like family run ranches, and then they formed like a a horse like a horses guild thing. Yeah. And they ended up getting a lot more assets and capital from that. Uh, and then I bought up, like, the restaurant and pub industry in a bunch of major cities. Yeah. <laughs> and before I knew it, I was, like, the 12th most powerful corporation in the fantasy world of whatever Romancing Saga 3's world is called. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the dude who... I went back to the dude and he gave me a shit ton of money. He's like, go meet me a, a, up in Wilmington or some other town that I can't remember. And I don't even know how to get there yet, yeah. so I'll figure that out eventually. Oh, yeah. But. Um... Yeah, oh, that... Are, 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 are you talking about Wilmoth? Because you, you can get to that town by, like, going to a specific other town and just taking a ship there. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, there's a bunch there, of places. Yeah. This map opens up fast. Yeah, yeah it does. Like, there's yeah. pretty much, like, one town in the game where you can just take a ship pretty much anywhere. Yeah, at the cost of some really hefty prices, which, by the way, we should probably mention, this game's economy is tight in terms of... Yeah. This game's economy is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you can only carry 10,000 of whatever the currency... Orums, they're called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, spells cost anywhere from, like, 400 orums to, 9, like, thousands upon thousands. 
9,999. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and the vast majority of enemies, unless they're humanoid or goblins, don't drop money, and even when they do, it's like chump change. Yeah, it's like 5 or 10, you know? Like, that's the range of money you're getting for, from fights, so... Yeah, it's just like, oh, thanks, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So your main source of income is is going through the dungeons, picking up a bunch of shit that's on skeletons, and then going back to town to sell it, or getting paid from doing a job real good. Yeah, which I yeah. guess, like, the economy in the game that isn't in the capitalism minigame um, is balanced in a way to incentivize doing quests, which is yeah. basically the entire game. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, that's the only way we're gonna get money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, some of the spells <laughs> later on are, like, super expensive. Oh, yeah. just like, why? Like, I, like, I feel like the capitalism minigame like is kind of an is an essential thing that you should be doing. Otherwise, yeah, you're gonna be fucked in the end game. Yep. Well, it's also <laughs> annoying though because I got when when he paid me for that. I you literally just get paid the maximum amount of money, and then later when I was talking to a mayor about the fact I was very upset that he tried sacrificing me and a literal child to a horde of rats. He was like, ah, whatever, I'm just gonna give you some money. And I didn't get it because I already had the maximum amount of money possible. I was like, well, f I did this for nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> fuck it, the rat should have eaten the whole town. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. That quest is super funny, by the way. Oh my god. Oh my god. It is a very bizarre quest. That entire area is weird. Yeah. yeah. Fucking have to go... To this weird cave that's turned just turned out to be a sacrificial cave, so that they can sacrifice someone to the rats, so that they can stop going into town. We're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, like <laughs> that kind of storyline. Like usually, it's like a big bad dragon or something, but here it's just no, it's just the rats. The end. All just rats. And late <laughs> but also, let's not forget the fact that the rats are a genetic experiment from a professor who lives to the south. Yeah, that has a bunch of her experiments running loose that you need to save so you can get the thing that'll help you beat the rats more easily. It is the weirdest. And also, she sings for she some sings, reason. Yeah, she's she sings super for some narcissistic. She's like, oh man, like here's. She has something in a back room she really doesn't want you to see, and I'm very worried <laughs> yeah. about it. Hey, there's a quest later on that kind of explains what that is, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. It's the best quest in the game, in my opinion. <laughs> no, what what I love about this is that... Uh, and I, I was looking up a walkthrough, so I, I even saw like s some other orders that I wasn't privy to about how you can do this. So, like, just as an example, there are so many different ways to fall upon this weird quest chain... Uh, because technically, too, a lot of these are just multiple quests broiled into one. Yeah. So you could, f you can find, you can do what I did, which you go to the creepy forest where the professor lives, and then you solve her experiments running amok problem, and she goes, "Oh yeah, also there's one that's like also still technically out there, but you don't need to worry about it. I created an evil rat swarm, and it's like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> I'm sure that's never going to be yeah. a problem in anyone's life. No, no. And then I go the next town over, and it's a problem in everyone's life. <laughs> um, alternate, And then you go back, and you get the thing to help kill the rats or whatever from the place, because she's like, oh, you found the rats? And I go, yep, I found the rats. Um, alternatively, you could go to the town and just be like, oh, 
they're 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 having problems with the monster or something, and then you find out it's a swarm of rats, and then you go to the south after trying to find someone who can help you with the rat problem. Uh, or the other way that I found apparently some people stumble onto it, you can go talk to the adventuring boyfriend of someone who is scheduled to be the next human sacrifice in the town. Oh yeah, I, I did that part. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you find out about it that way, so you go over like, what the hell's happening here? And it, it there's just so many points of entry for this weird storyline, and somehow it all works and like i feel like that saga at its best saga at its worst is me not being able to do part yeah. of that quest until i was done with the capitalism minigame yeah. because every time so to to be able to go into the cave you need to have you need to talk to the mayor so he can tell you what the cave is because i was doing the capitalism yes. minigame he, he will not give you the quest line instead he'll be like okay let's talk stocks you know Yes, you you are only able to talk to him about business when you are when you are in capitalism mode. You you cannot help his town with this problem until you have a break in the capitalism quest chain. It is so awkward. Yeah. Fucking phrase. Because everyone in the town is like, "Hey, you should talk to the mayor about our beast problem." And then I go talk to the mayor, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to buy our fucking shipyard?" And I go, "No, <laughs> actually, not right now." I think there are bigger. All the sailors are going to be eaten. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's what a bizarre, lovely game. Yeah, it's yeah. again, it's not for everyone. It is. Um, I I also like just want to reiterate, like these games, I think more than any RPG I've played, really takes you by the shoulders, looks you in the eyes, and goes, "Just trust us." And sometimes it doesn't pay off. Sometimes you can't trust Saga, which is the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <you> can't. <laughs> but like. For an example, how you gain skills in a lot of these games is your character, you'll tell your character to like, hey, like you, I want you to use like big slash attack or whatever. Sometimes when you do that, your character will get a light bulb, when you're, when it's your character's turn in battle after you issue the command, your character will get a light bulb over their head and they'll go, wait a minute. What if I caused a fucking earthquake instead, and then they just use a completely different skill, which may or may not work or be good depending on the situation, and then you learn that skill. Yeah. It's very random. Very random. Like a lot of yeah. things in these games. Yeah, it's super random the rate at which you gain new skills, which can actually be kind of frustrating when you get the end game. You're just like, oh my god, my skills are not very good. Yeah, <laughs> but then you get the inverse effect of that, where you're in a really tough boss fight, and you manage to finish off the boss with like some super giga attack that just comes out of nowhere, and it's great. Yeah. Dude, I had that with, um, I recruited Sarah in my party, who I was like, okay, girl, you're really not pulling your weight. You're She's like the fragile, dexterous yeah. archer stereotype. Yeah. And she just kept dying, and I was like, oh my fucking god, yeah. this party member sucks. Yeah. And then I was in a really tough boss battle where she goes, wait a minute, what if I just learned the technique that just really fucks up beasts really bad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she used it, and it just killed the boss in like one hit. And I went, "Oh, okay. No, you're you're staying. You're staying with the team. Yeah. You're good now." Yeah. Also, we should point out because this is a thing for some people. Uh, saga games tend to have a system called life points, which is different from hit points. Yeah. Where if you play wrong, you can just lose party members forever. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because permanent death. No, 
no yeah, worries about that. Which honestly, that me- so that mechanic is interesting because so- like Romancing Saga Two was the first game to implement life points, and in that game, life points had a very specific purpose to enforce. Yeah, like, they 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 were in Saga One as well. Yeah, they were in Saga One. Um, but they they work very differently. Yeah, they they're very different. Like. I feel like in Romancing Saga 2, like, the way they worked was to sort of enforce, like, how, like, oh, the party that you have now will definitely die at some point, if not by the passage of time, then definitely by battle, and that, like, hey, it's okay to, like, shuffle out your party. Um, whereas it holds over in 3 as, like, hey, just don't stick around in the dungeon for too long or fight this battle for some amount of time. Yeah, yeah so in Romance and Saga 3, how it works is you have, like, anywhere from, like, 10 to 15 life points, and that ticks down every time your character faints in battle or, which really fucking sucks, when your character faints in battle and their dead body gets attacked, they will also lose a life yeah. point, and then when that life point meter hits zero, that character is permanently dead. Um, though, I, if I recall, I think there's some ways to revive them. I'm not privy to those yeah, as of I, right now, five I hours think in. what it is, um, is that every time you do one of the main Abyss Gate quest lines, then they can be re-recruited wherever you originally found them. But... Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not super that makes sense. but there is a finite amount of times that you can do this, so... Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I mean, even then it's not that bad, because really what it is, is... Romance in Saga 3, every time you finish battle, your main party just heals all the way back up to full HP-wise. Yeah. Yep. But your skill points don't, uh, don't end up getting revived which are they're both used for like physical skills and magic abilities or whatever and you're really going to want to be using those skills because they're way better than your traditional attack yeah Yeah. and you need to both recover those and your life points by using the in which are very cheap yeah they're (laughs) super cheap cheap, so it's literally how many party members do you have okay that's how much it costs (laughs) yeah also, I think it is worth pointing out these games have, or at least Romancing Saga, unlo- unless it's like a boss fight or story encounter thing that you can't escape from, 100% escape rate. Yeah. 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 With the downside it's... only being a very hidden mechanic of the battle rank, which is in a lot of these games. Yeah. And it's like a super hidden thing, which is like, honestly, kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Saga is a big fan of hidden mechanics. Romancing Saga Minstrel Song, which is a fantastic game, has this whole alignment system where like the penultimate dungeon will change depending on how good or evil your character is. It's really fucking weird. Also, there's a complete in I think in Romancing Saga Minstrel Song I know in that one, I don't know if this is in any of the other games. I think it might be in Scarlet Grace, judging by what happened in one of my fights. Um, there is a hidden favor system where, depending on your actions, down to things like what spell, what types of spells do you buy, there's this whole court of gods that either like or dislike you, and will randomly do shit to, like, help or hinder you <laughs> as you travel, uh, or in combat. It is 
bizarre, and this is explained pretty much nowhere. At least in Minstrel Song. Uh, yeah. You... And even, even, um... Like, these games just don't really like to give you tutorials. Yeah. And I, I think that's by design. They really want you to feel lost and slowly start to figure out, okay, I don't know where to go, I barely even know what I'm doing, but I'm making progress, and it, these games are about a lot of mechan mechanical discovery in a way that I haven't felt many other RPGs, especially moder modern ones, trust of players. Though that being said, sometimes it does backfire. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, like, there is a sort of mystique to the games being so obtuse that really makes it appealing to me because Saga is the sort of series where you can make up literally anything about like a fake hidden mechanic in these games and I would 100% believe it's in the game yeah yep. like just mm, there's oh there's so much there's so much I, that they just don't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> just like, how are you supposed to figure Let's, this out? I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of Saga speedruns, especially when they have commentary, because that's how I learned in Unlimited Saga. There is a distance mechanic in terms of how yeah! attack order is determined that is never indicated anywhere in the actual game so the speedrunners are like yeah so you preferably want to use ranged weapons in the final battle because it takes place in the space background so obviously it makes sense to use ranged weapons in space because it's faster like why? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? yeah <laughs> Okay. Like a <laughs> I, I, I can't remember their exact names, but I, I remember joking about this with one of one of you two earlier in the year, where it's like, "Romancing Saga Minstrel Song" is a game where you open up the status screen and there's three menu options listed back to back that are like abilities, skills, and spells, and it's no, like... it's abilities, skills, and like proficiencies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like, oh god, I'm gonna need a textbook for this one. Yeah. Listen, this all sounds bad, but these games are good. Asterisk. Yeah, they are. They they're very very interesting, and I I I respect them a lot. Even though I they they really do fall into that fuck. I know this is kind of a cliche, especially I feel like this is becoming a cliche with whenever I talk about RPGs, considering like the shit I've been talking about on my channel. But like they feel very Drakengard esque, maybe not in tone, but in just boldness of going. We're gonna go a different way with what we want to do because they essentially take a very stereotypical JRPG world and plot and then decide to focus on other things both in those two areas and also in terms of mechanics for something that feels profoundly fresh for what should be something that is very painfully generic yeah yeah like as a as a game designer myself it is very interesting seeing this series as like Kawazu's weird pet project series of him just experimenting with RPG mechanics, because a lot of these mechanics, again, are kind of obtuse, and 
kinda bad sometimes, but also when looking at them as a whole, as a designer, I can appreciate a lot of the choices made to support specific aesthetic outcomes. Like, I mean, I mentioned before that, like, this RPG series is very not... Well, it's very antithetical to power fantasy, yet also, in a ways, can become a power fantasy if you put in the effort. But there is so much resistance to it that, like, yeah. it's very challenging in a way that's unique in terms of a lot of other video games in general. Yeah. It's like everything about it really wants to defy the fact that just because your game uses so many numbers as a base that it has to be a linear progression yeah. in terms of scale. Yeah. Like, it's gonna take you through so many twists and turns and just throw you all around in terms of what you should be doing or where you should be going or how your character sh should develop as the game goes along. Yeah, and, like, I, I struggle to s figure out, like, a phrase for what I'm trying to get at, but, like, I feel like in a s not a similar way to, like, open-world life simulation games, like... Uh, Shenmue, or even Yakuza, where, Yakuza, uh, um, where there's a lot of open elements and freedom to do a lot of things. Like, I feel like Saga has a sort of life, quote-unquote, elements to it, where, yeah, you don't really have a clear direction in where you're going, so you kind of have to just figure out things yourself, find ways to get money, scrape by, like, find purpose in a way that's your own, which I think is really unique, um, just in the way that is sort of presented as a sort of, I guess in the most, like, barest sense of, like, we're gonna put you in this world, fuck you, figure it out yourself, asshole. Yeah. I mean, even there is one thing where on I received a tip for something in the game to go somewhere, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down to the port, and the person's like, that'll be 700 orums, and I'm like, can't afford that, I'm going to do that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like, just life gets in the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. I, do, do either of you have any closing thoughts on Romancing Saga 3? Because I feel like we could also talk a little bit on Scarlet Graces, which I don't think any of us have beaten yet but i've started yeah, and i know you two have not been yet it yet but i am getting well maybe not close but i think two-thirds of the way in for one storyline oh god i'm like still like pretty early on oh boy <laughs> i'm i'm about two and a half to three hours in i think i'm about like 10 hours in um so First thing I will say is I will proudly boast that I made the multi-billion dollar monopoly in the capitalism minigame. That's how far oh in I got oh, it. Yeah. Oh I bought God. out look at, look. Oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. I bought out every single company in the game. Like <laughs> Look at look at fucking Disney over here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like whole You own one hundred fifty-six businesses. Like <laughs> If nothing else, like, this game is, like, the most 
accurate depiction of capitalism in a video game, despite being so simple. Because, man, at some point, you just stop losing all feeling of thinking, like, oh, man, like, this one action that will get me ahead will cost me a lot of money. Like, at some point, no. Just just spam every single option that you have to get ahead of the game, and you'll be fine. Like... They, they, it's literally just throwing your money at the problems until they go away, and I love the little digs, like, there's stuff like, oh, when you're starting out, buy a bunch of really small, poor, family-owned businesses yeah. that the community really likes a lot to build up trust with people, yeah. and yeah. then slowly start to, slowly start to film guilds and groups and use all of their combined capital to buy bigger and bigger businesses, and eventually you own half the world, and it's yep. like, yep, okay, yep. We're, I especially, <laughs> we're going in on I this, I especially huh? love, like the unintentional subplot of this of like hey like the one dude who initially like set you up on this quest and is basically your partner and benefactor you can eventually just buy him out you can buy yeah. him out <laughs> yeah i know i noticed that too because i'm like wait i can buy out that guy's businesses he's the one who wanted me to start yeah. this corporation in the first place so i basically just betrayed him and just swallowed everything up like this is peak capitalism. <laughs> we should also, also, like, and honestly, too, just because, like, I mean, it is it is a really fun and silly thing to do for, like, a, a RPG plus, <laughs> but just the way it ties into the rest of the world, too, is really interesting, where, um, I mean, we've talked about, like, what businesses they choose to feature, like, I mean, you can buy out the frickin' Archfiend Palace and just a bunch of other random shit. That that eccentric professor's house, you can buy out her research lab, yeah. too. Like, that's another, just a bunch of locations in the game you can just technically, legally own, and they generate revenue for you. It's so funny. But the start of this quest, too, the main guy who puts you up to task and wants you to start your own, your own corporation, his backstory is that he was one of the economic people that was supporting the matriarch financially when she was waging war against the demon lords, and it's like, oh, right, yeah. like, if you want to go on this big world-spanning adventure to beat all of these demon lords up and then put a stop to this, you probably are going to need some powerful people backing you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just this very sobering moment of, oh, someone needed to pay for all of the... Someone needs to pay for the war at some point, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but But even beyond that, too... Something I really appreciated is that some of the most expensive businesses in the game are the different seafaring companies from all of the major port towns because it just kind of show because especially this world is so fractured into a bunch of different subcontinents and islands like yeah the world's economy kind of evol it just revolves around ship travel in this world because of how it's designed and I'm happy to see that kind of reflected in this economy mini game yeah there's just a lot of really cool attention to detail for stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And this was an SNES game back in the day. Yeah, this was yeah. a game made in fucking 1995. <laughs> yeah. Like, damn. Oh, lord. It feels like... It feels like something an RPG maker creator would do in, like, 2008 yeah. and be like... Yeah. I want to I want to I want to see if I can make this work through a menu-based JRPG system. Yeah, like I feel like in this day and age with like the indie game scene 
coming out. Like, I feel like Saga, ironically, being owned by Square Enix, biggest company in RPGs, um, I feel like the market for Saga is pretty more accepting than it once was, considering oh, how yeah, experimental it is, because we've gotten a lot of weird games in the past few years, so I feel like the... I feel like it's no surprise that Romancing Saga 2, 3, and now Scarlet Grace are doing pretty alright, um, yeah. compared to yeah. back in the days, so... Um, uh, should we talk about Scarlet Grace? Hold on, before we talk about Scarlet Grace, I want to talk about the fucking... <laughs> I want to talk about two things, the fucking car side quest, and also the uh, Mong Village. <laughs> oh yeah, the Mong Village! Ah! <laughs> Please explain both of these. Okay, so there's like for the car side quest, there's like one point of the game where you can just go into a random town and just be ran over by a car. <laughs> like a modern day modern ass car? No, it's like some kind of like uh weird creation from that professor from like the rat side quest. Oh, okay. And like she's So it's like a medieval fantasy car. No, <laughs> it's not! It's oh, not. <laughs> Well, what the fuck? I don't know anymore. But yeah, no, like, you, you could, like, go and see her, and she's all like, oh, I've really fucked up. I let this thing just kind of run loose everywhere, and it's causing a lot of problems. She made a sentient car? No, but, like, it just, like, goes everywhere, and it just kind of, like, fucks everything up. And she's all like, okay, now you go and use this prototype that I made to go beat it up. So you go to the car and fucking beat it up. <laughs> It's a, this is decades before Tesla. This is amazing. It's a fucking, like, really cool battle with, like, I think the best song in the game. Yeah. It's... <laughs> oh, is that where that magical tank sound? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> song comes from. I've been here. I've. Before I knew jack shit about Romancing Saga 3, I've heard that song in so many random places. Like, that's just a good-ass yeah. song. Yeah, it's just a really good song. <laughs> I've heard song that everywhere. For this one dumb side quest. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, I would have expected it would have been a tank, not a car. The, but, yeah, yeah, no. But yeah, that's pretty much that side quest. But we can talk about the Bungalage now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, one thing about, like, I was, as you mentioned, these games have very unique world building, and they have very culture choices for which places in real life they decide to pull for their game worlds and mythologies. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... There's one point in the game where you can go into the desert area, and in one direction you'll find, I think, the Archfiend Tower. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, That if that's what it's called, I forget. But, yeah, it's the Archfiend's Tower. Yeah, um, if you talk to one of the NPCs, it's like, oh yeah, on the other side of the desert is like a place where no one has ever come back from. So, clearly, as an adventurer, you're, you'll be like, hmm, maybe I should go there and never come back. So, if you do this and make it out all the way to the far ends of the desert, you eventually end up in the Far East. Um, and the first village that you will likely stumble upon is the Hmong village. Um, <laughs> so background, uh, I'm a Hmong person. Um, the, we are not really talked about too much in the media, but maybe you've seen Gran Turismo. Fang, I legitimately remember when I met you, you were shocked that I even knew what a Hmong yeah. person was. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Which, for context, we we actually have a, a pretty extensive Hmong population in Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, I kind of figured afterwards, after, like, I mean, I consider it, like, yeah, I have relatives in, like, Michigan, so I guess I'm not too surprised, but, yeah, no. That experience always stuck with yeah. me, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're just like, wait, you know what that is? I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to explain it to most people around here, so, like, it's weird. Yeah. But, yeah, no, like, they spell it a weird way in this game, but it very feel, like, you, like I can clearly tell that's what they were going for. Like, yeah, this is, yeah. like, they drew from, I think, I'm pretty sure they drew specifically from, like, the Chinese Meow community, which is basically... Um, or I won't get into the semantics of that because it's complicated and beyond my reach, even. But yeah, um, yeah, no, that was that was some cultural representation I was not expecting from this old ass RPG. So I was actually gonna. So do you feel like it's like when you got to there, you weren't like, oh, this is appropriated for a weird fantasy thing. Like you were, it seemed pretty fine. Yeah. It- I was pretty alright with it. I mean, I knew, like, especially in the context of, like, the other place that's in the East, which is, um, more based on China, that, um, this was supposed to be more like the Chinese community of Meow people. So, um, that, I think, like, it's, there's no, like, real, like, stereotypes. Um, I mean, I guess there's martial arts, if you could consider that, like, um, the girl that you get from the village as a party member, Jiling, um, she's good at archery, she's also good at martial arts, but, I mean, that's a really small gameplay detail that's, like, I mean, that's not really a stereotype, but, um... Yeah. Also, Shiling's also, like, the second best bow user. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, she's super good. She's way better than fucking Sarah at bows. Yeah! (laughs) She's way better than Sarah because she actually has fucking health. Yeah! (laughs) Good. And she actually does damage. I'm so tired of her getting one-shot killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah, I used her, like, basically for the rest of the game at that point. Same. She's good. She's a good character. Good, good stats. Good, good. Mm. Good. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Saga's good. <laughs> Why is this the one RPG series that gives me representation? <laughs> I can't understand, but I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> Thanks, Kawasu. Uh. <laughs> oh, did you guys want to talk about the snowman at all? Oh my god, oh, yes! Oh god. god! Okay, so there's like one point in the game where you can go to like this uh, fucking snowman village. And, and to preface this, the way that you get to this area is stupid, alright? Yeah, it's stupid! So, How are you supposed to know that you're supposed so to go first to the fucking you, world map? Yeah, so first you have to go to the person who tells you about the abyss gates and lands, and... You can ask them about, like, hey, is the Aurora gonna be tonight? And they'll be like, yes. And so you're wondering, like, cool, what does that do? So you have to go to the world map, and specifically on the world map, you have to zoom out to the full view of the world map and wait for a couple of minutes. 
I didn't even know that you yeah! could zoom out. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so you had to wait for I feel so dumb. you had to wait for a couple of minutes and the background of the world map zoomed out will start to turn dark and then transition into the Aurora, which then reveals the hidden location that you need to go to access the flurry side quest. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> yeah, what I figured out. See, because I asked about the Aurora and I asked about the Aurora, and the assistant was like, not tonight, don't count on it. And I was like, okay. Yeah, and of course that one is also um, also hidden by the HP threshold system. Yeah. Oh my god. You have to have, like, I think, like, 300 HP before you can go there. Yeah. (laughs) The series is something... That, like, reminds... Like, um... I, I'm still in my process of, like, writing up a Hollow Knight review or whatever, but one of the most ridiculous things that happened to me in that game... So that game has, like, a charm system where you can equip what are basically, like, these passive and uh, active abilities. Yeah. And you have, like, a certain amount of, like, notches that you can equip to them, and each of the different abilities can require anything from, like, one to three notches. Yeah. And if you try... Say you have, like, one free slot left, and you try to equip something that has... That requires two notches. If you just keep trying to do it after the fifth time, it'll just let you. But the trade-off is that you are now overcharmed and you take double damage, but you still get like the extra ability. And I just like discovered that, like just kind of absently, like half paying attention and just like mashing X on the controller. And then the menu changed and it was like you're overcharmed. I'm like, wait, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) Like I really appreciate like just discovering weird hidden mechanics in things like UI and menus and maps and shit yeah. like that. And you just do not expect that at all. And more games need to do stuff like yeah, that. I feel that's totally dope. But yeah, yeah uh, the snowman. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So once you uh, find the Aurora Borealis place, you go <laughs> and you get transported to the fucking snow <laughs> universe. <laughs> And then you can go and talk to all these snowmen, and then one of them will randomly just kind of be like, hey, I want to join your party, and then you can let him in your party. And then He just wants to join? He has no reason to? Yeah, he just kind of wants to join. Yeah, uh, the condition okay. is that you have to get the Everfrost crystal so that the snowman yeah. doesn't melt in the outside world. Um, which makes yeah, which makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. But this is the crux of one really particular moment that... I knew even before playing this game. Does the snowman melt? Mark. Oh no, don't spoil, but <laughs> oh no. I need to do this now. I need to do this and I also need to recruit the lobster man. The fucking lobster. Yeah. Oh my god. I love that his name is Boston. His name is Boston! That's a really fucking good name yeah, for a lobster man. It's so good. Okay, dude. Boston? is legitimately, like, one of the most top-tier characters in the fucking game. Yes. Like... <laughs> this is what I love. This is like, what I need. this game has, like, no real other martial artists other than, like, Ellen and Boston. Because Boston <laughs> is, like, the best martial artist in the game. Big, meaty claws. <laughs> okay, literally, though, like, you laugh at him as, like, haha, joke character, but the moment you use his normal fucking punch ability, which, by the way, is different than the human punch ability, it's pincer. Like, he does more damage than actual text of just his basic ass pincer. Like, this is good. It's insane. Oh. 
Yeah, Boston. Boston is good. Elephant Man is also good. Um, yeah, Elephant Man is fucking broken as shit. Yeah, for context, <laughs> Elephant Man has 36 LP, which is triple Jesus. most of the other characters in the game. So there is. He also has the highest endurance stat in the entire game. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason why he's broken is because there is a spell in one of the magic line i think the wind magic line which by the way saga magic always fucking weird um, yeah it's always weird and it's never like yeah. great yeah <laughs> it's never exactly what you want it to be but you still end up finding situations where it's oddly specifically yeah. useful and it's yeah it's so weird this is one of those oddly specific moments where um there the ultimate spell in the wind line of magic is I think it's Dragon God. I know in like the old translation, I forget if new translation uses something else. But um, basically, you use that skill, and it will grant complete immunity to all HP damage, aside from special cases, um, and also reduces the cost of every single skill you have to zero. And the only trade-off to this is that whenever an attack hits the um, affected character, they lose one LP. So Elephant Man with 36 fucking LP can tank like 36 attacks from the enemy, which is way beyond the length of battles in this game. And just this do good. whatever you want. So... It like also another another very oddly specific um spell example, at least where I'm at in the game. Uh Sarah, again, my archer character, has a skill called Snake Shot, which costs a lot and against most enemies doesn't really do all that much damage to justify its cost, but the description says highly effective against frogs. And I've not yet in my five hours of playing come up against a frog. But I know there's going to be one point in the game where I'm going to need to kill a frog. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'm too afraid to forget the ability until until that day so, comes. So, you want to know the fun thing about that skill, specifically? Why? So, there's, obviously, there's other skills, like the beast-killing skills that yeah. do extra damage. I think, technically, all of those skills do critical hits. The frog-based one is an instant kill. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, it's a snake eating a frog, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, like, the trade-off for being way more specific than the other ones is it's just, they die. Which, honestly, it's more useful than you think with some of the random encounters later. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. Um, But yeah, no, this game... This game is... I feel like this game is weird in the way that it sets up the precedent for Saga Frontier later on in just, like, just all-out weird setting. Because, I mean, romancing... At least, like, the romancing Saga games, at least from what I've played of two, they are pretty... I mean, they're still unique in terms of, like, how they handle fantasy settings, like, 
2's premise of like, oh, the seven heroes who saved the world come back evil is at least at the time comparatively interesting um, in how they do it. But um, it's still, it's not as weird as like 3 and so- later Saga Frontier get in terms of like characters. There is one town in 3 where um, there's basically a superhero side quest that's basically the precedent for Red's scenario and Frontier later on. <laughs> and the party members that you get from that is the hero Robin, who has a big fucking R tattooed on his, like, bandana, and Fat Robin, which is his... Not his sidekick, but his really big fanboy that wants to be just like him. It's really, really weird and out of place for a fantasy setting like so- like Romancing Saga 3. Yeah. See, like, between... I'm putting this all together now. Like, between, like, that and the car, I think I can start to appreciate why in Saga Frontier they were like, fuck it, like, we're, like... Partial, we're gonna be having like sci-fi modern day fantasy all in one setting like it is just yeah. this amalgamation of ideas like you have like a sorcerer twin brother side quest thing on top of like a weird crime murder mystery thriller thing yeah uh, and also a playable robot like also, it's just also a playable robot also fucking vampires also a super furries. also a superhero <laughs> yeah like <laughs> romancing saga 3 was like like dipping the toes into that which i mean it's also weird considering that like technically the game boy games were also kind of weird and like hey there's monsters there's espers humans robots like that stuff didn't make it into romancing saga at least one and two where they were more in line ish with um Final Fantasy's sort of settings, though still unique. To the point that they really look like budget Final Fantasy yeah. games. Yeah. <laughs> One especially, oh yeah. my god. And then, like, yeah. and then Romancing Saga 3 starts to delve back in, into that territory before Saga Frontier just really, like, just goes balls to the walls. All in. Yeah. yeah. And then they go dial it back in... Saga Frontier 2. <laughs> yeah, they dial back Can... hard in Saga Frontier 2, oh my god. <laughs> so I hinted at this, and some, some people on Twitter got very excited about me talking about this, so I feel like this is a good time for me to talk about my my very important, very special Saga Frontier story from my childhood. Oh. <laughs> I think we could do this, and then we can transition to Scarlet yeah. Grace. Okay. Um... So when I was a child, I I played Saga Frontier, I picked it up, and I played through quite a few scenarios in that game. You have like eight different characters, I didn't play through all of them back in the day, but you know, I, I went through quite a few. One of them is this character who is a half-mystic, which basically, think vampire, it's a little different, but I mean, it's a vampire it's lady. Uh, it's a vampire. Uh, named Acellus? Acellius? I think it's Acellus. It's Acellius. It's, 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 it's Acellius, okay. And she has a few romance options in her story. Yeah, she got a few. (laughs) And two of them are just straight up lesbian relationships for like, in like this mid 90s JRPG. 
And unlike a lot of other examples from the 90s, uh, they, like, nobody in the West localizing it at the time was like, no, we can't have this. And they just, they just put it in. Yeah, they just put it in. It's just yeah, in there. Like, <laughs> isn't, like, one of the endings, like, oh, man, like, she becomes, like, a mystic overlord and has, like, a lesbian harem, basically. Uh, yeah, there's a few, like, things, like, when you look at it, especially with the endings, you're kind of like, ugh. Um, the one where she becomes a full human, she's like, oh, I'm yeah! straight now, which is like, <laughs> yeah, what? Oh, okay, yeah! that's, um... Yeah, um, hello? Uh, Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> like, the fact she was a half-vampire was what made her a lesbian, which is really yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, or, I guess, I guess, I, I don't, can she even, can she... Can she even date the dude if she ends up as a mystic? I don't know anymore, but I, I, I mean, think... she's she's by yeah, pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, they, there's like this weird like dynamic between like, oh, if she has any vampire blood in her, she's dating the chicks. If she's human, she's dating the guy. And it's like, okay, that's um, but, there's some implications. Yeah, there, there's maybe. some yeah. bad implications there, but it's yeah. fine. Yeah. It was the it, it was the late nineties. It's okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so this is why this is where I'm gonna talk as as Mister Mister Sheltered Straight Dude joined up the Christian household. Oh my fucking god, are you serious? <laughs> as a child playing Saga Frontier and going, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you're telling me that two chicks can do that? Then I thought about it and I went, huh. I guess they can, like in like in my in my mind the like the gerbil wheel started like turning and I started to see like the Sherlock mind palace and I'm like, yeah, I mean I guess two girls can fall in love, huh? And there's a solid year of my late elementary school life where I knew that homosexuality existed, but I only thought girls could do it. Oh my god. <laughs> And it's all because of Saga Frontier. Thanks, Kawazu. Thanks, Kawazu. Yeah, thanks, Kawazu. <laughs> and then later on, I still remember. I still remember the when I when I when it all fully came back together. Me and my my sister was babysitting me, and I think we were watching a movie on TV, and someone said "gay" as like an insult. And I think I asked, like, what what is that word? Because I hear because like you, you know, growing out in the boonies here, I was like, I feel like I've heard kids saying that to make fun of each other on the playground. What does that mean? And then my sister, who has uh, actually been pretty good about these things even when we were younger, um, and actually had uh, quite a few queer friends growing up, so, you know, shout-outs to my sister. Very very loving and patient person in my life. Um, you know, she kind of sat me down and explained to me the concept of sexuality, and I went... I didn't say this out loud, thank God, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, huh, so that's what happened in Saga Frontier. <laughs> So yeah. So yeah, this series is great at representing uh, um <laughs> underrepresented uh, communities like the Hmong people and lesbians. And that's how I found out about uh you know non-heteronormative sexuality in my life. It's through Saga Frontier. <sighs> so that's that story. <laughs> I know there's some people very curious how Saga was involved with that because I took posted about it on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, it's a now, thing. let's talk about let's pivot to talking about Saga Scarlet Grey, shall we? Yeah. Um, 
this was a game that actually came out, if I recall, I believe this game came out originally on the Vita and smartphones only in Japan as a celebration for the series's 25th anniversary? Yep. Yeah. And it wasn't until just a few weeks ago that it got re-released for Switch, PC, and PS4 as Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions. Uh, and now we in the West can finally experience it for the first time. And it's been getting rave reviews. I actually, I just found this out an hour before we started recording. Uh, RPG site published their review for it like yesterday or the day before. And they gave it a 10 out of 10. And just in general, like, I, I mean, I'm reading the comments and a lot of the other discussion about this game. And people really seem to be digging this one. So I'm hoping yeah. that this is, this one picks up through word of mouth. Uh, I've enjoyed the first few hours I've played of it. Um, Basically, the premise with this one is uh, this is a world that has basically been plagued by this evil god that fell from grace called uh, Scarlet Grace. Oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, there's this god called the Wicked One, also called the Firebringer, who every once again, every couple hundred years would wreak havoc. Um, the other gods decided to form an empire on Earth. Uh, so that the humans could fight back against the Firebringer, and every time the Firebringer went around, the Emperor would take up arms and fight against the Firebringer, until the last time, the, the last time came, like the seventh time, Emperor finally kills him, and everything's good, right? Well, wrong. Apparently because humanity's just so fucking terrible, the Empire starts to fall apart, the Emperor gets assassinated, everything's crumbling, and the nations are all divided, and now we're left with a world where, like... Everything's just kind of in ruins. War is about to break out everywhere. No one can get along. Some people just want everyone to leave each other alone. Some people want to create a new world order. Um, and just basically the big, bad, evil entity that you'd expect to be uh, causing havoc in a fantasy story like this is already dead. And the problem comes from what happens when people are left to their own devices after that. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah, so right off the bat, like, if you tweak this a little bit, this could have been a sequel to Romancing Saga 2 specifically. Yeah. if, like, literally, like, the whole, like, plot of Romancing Saga 2 is precisely that generational, like, hundreds of years struggle against the seven heroes, where in this case, I guess, it's the seven comings of the Firebringer. So I think it's really interesting that, like, this game is feels like a sort of in terms of storyline, a response to Romancing Saga 2 in a way, where it's like, yeah, like, once you beat all the seven heroes and save the world, like, cool. Does that mean everything's going to be all right? No. Humans no. are still humans. So. Um. Yeah, this series has just likes to repeat a lot of themes, but do different things with them. It is in conversation with itself a lot, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know especially, too, I, I, was, I remember reading some developer stuff way back when this first came out on the Vita, and... I mean, Romancing Saga Minstrel Song, which is a remake of the first Romancing Saga for PS2, kind of did this already, but they really made this one with the intention, like, we want this to be a celebration of the series and to take all of its best ideas and try to make something really cool out of it. 
Yeah. Um, so you have you have multiple player uh, playable characters again, but it's a little more held back and reined in. You have four characters to choose from, and you don't really even necessarily choose from them so much as you take a personality quiz at the beginning, and then it recommends you one. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't like the character that you get, then you can choose another one, but with the caveat that they won't get any bonus stats. Um, because the quiz results, not only does it choose your character, but it also chooses uh, any additional stat modifications to your base stats. Um, which, I mean, I don't know what determines what in true Saga fashion in terms of these quizzes, but it, it is a thing. <laughs> Sure. A lot of really random questions like, would you rather live in a world that's chaotic but rich, or a world that's impoverished but orderly? And I'm like, this is so abstract, I don't... Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what? Okay. Some real hard-hitting moral decisions. Yeah. Or like, how do you feel about fireworks? Are they beautiful because they're so ephemeral, or is it? are they tragic and sad because they're only beautiful for so long before being gone forever? And it's like, fuck. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I haven't thought about that while looking at firework, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, I want to say, the writing in this game is pretty solid. This is probably, yeah. like, one of, like... I want to say maybe even, like, the best of the localizations that Saga has gotten, like, compared Shout to... Shoutouts to 8-4. Shoutouts to 8-4. Yeah, Shoutouts um, to 8-4. Shoutouts shout really... to an actual English dub. Oh, I said that weird. <laughs> English dub. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, like, Minstrel Song did have full English voice acting, but I was surprised that this one also got, like, an English dub. Yeah, I had no like, idea that I had an English dub before I played it. Considering how much marketing they did for this game, they did, like, zero marketing at all for this one. Like, yeah. they tacked on its announcement at the back end of Romancing Saga 3. Like, it was... Yeah, yeah. The Romancing Saga 3 trailer at the end is like, oh, also Scarlet Grace is coming out the month after Romancing Saga 3 as well. Get excited for it. And we're all like... Yeah, and that's all they... Oh, word. That's all they put out. Like, yeah, that's, all, yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, they also had a title card. When when they announced Romancing Saga 3 at that 1E3, they also had a title card like, we're going to bring over Scarlet Grace at some point. And it's like, okay, you've been saying that for a while now, actually, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, they just kind of really dropped it at the end of the year here, and it's... I'm I'm happy, though, because it really does seem like it's starting to get... People are picking up on it, and that gets me excited, especially in a year where there's been pretty good RPGs to choose from between, like, Fire Emblem, that Dragon Quest Eleven Switch port, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, just a bunch of random games. Yeah, but, but the thing is that, like, at the end of the year, there isn't really a lot of other, like, RPG offerings besides, like, Saga, I don't feel, so... Yeah. yeah like i mean the last big one that really came out was pokemon and i feel like a lot of people are done with that already yeah, yeah. so but yeah no the localization in this game is top notch in a way that like the other games are not quite as i mean like like considering this series has had like a i think it's like over a decade of not having any yeah. new games, like 
the older games had like the older localization practices where things were not as like eloquent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh lord, Romancy Song of Mindral Songs English dub, Lord. <laughs> this yeah. is real bad. Lord. Yeah. Like I appreciate the guts to voice out every piece of dialogue, but man, but, it's not mm, the highest of quality. No. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget the fact that when you're when you're first starting your game here, you get to choose if the battle voices are default or expressive. Yeah, which apparently Wait. this is was I think this was inspired by Dragon Age, if I recall correctly from an interview. Which is Oh, I still I have still not gotten around to Dragon Age, so I did not know that was a thing. Yeah. It's interesting. I do not know how much of a difference it makes since I've only been doing like one playthrough as Urpina, uh Flower Girl. Same um, I put her on expressive. I don't know if that changes anything like her shouting, Erpina finisher, whenever killing enemies. <laughs> um, I have her on default, and that sounds about... I mean, everyone sounds energetic enough, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this game... This game is um, interesting in the fact that like it has a lot of writing comparatively with other Saga games. Like, the text is very, like, I don't know what it is about it that I can really articulate, but, like, it feels like the story is bigger, even if maybe it's not, like, as big as before. Um, I feel like I... I think part of it has to do with how this game is laid out, yes. which part of it feels like a budget thing to me, but I think it I think they really use it in their favor and I yes. I I want to withhold judgment until I get later in the game because I've heard that there's stuff that opens up that really starts to really uh tell you about the world and these characters, so I'm I'm excited to get to that, but I just I don't really know fully what it is other than the fact that it's coming. Uh, this game feels very Persona 3 portable in that there's not really towns or like dungeons. There's menus, story scenes, and battles. Yep. The entire world map is laid out like one of those carpets with the road map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 like this watercolor like pop-up book style, but also, yeah, it kind of looks like one of those play carpets with like the hospital, the yeah. airport. The... Man, Fang, when you showed me that, I got so bad because you're so right. Yeah, I <laughs> like this is the hottest take in, I've ever had, and like I've never been more correct in my life. Like, You're so right, I hate it. It's like someone played an RPG and they were like, you know, it's fucking bullshit walking around these towns and these dungeons and fuck it. World map and battles, that's all I want. Yeah. And you can talk every now and again. It's so weird. Yeah, and but here's the thing, right? So earlier I said that like Romancing Saga 3 really demonstrates that like, hey, like... These games are less about exploration of space and more exploration of information. And yeah. it was a really good choice to structure the map the way it is because it really capitalizes on what Saga does best, which is having a lot of random bullshit to do for side quests and lots yeah. of decision making. Like... 
there is one cave in Erpina's scenario early on that's like a mine, right? And typically, most of them... Is that the Ibex cave or whatever that is? Uh, I, I don't remember. There's a lot of locations in these games. Okay, okay. So, um, but most of the mines in the game, you can um, fight battles in to get um, materials, which you need for weapon upgrades. Um, one of these caves, you can go in and fight a battle, and the outcome of fighting that battle is Urpina and her um, assistant Mondo going like, oh man, there's nothing in this cave that's worthwhile. Let's put up a sign so that other adventurers can steer clear of the mine. There's nothing, there's nothing here for them. And you put up a sign and that's it. You get <laughs> nothing out of it. If you look back at the sign, Urpina's like, oh man, I hope this sign was useful to someone. Like, I'm very curious if if you play through, like, someone else's scenario, if the sign is going to still be there. Oh, yeah, because this game has the weirdest fucking thing also in the new game menu, where you start new game, and then it gives you a list of all four of the characters, and then it has you fill out, like, a form, like, literally check the boxes, like, did you finish this or did you not finish yeah, this? Which... which I feel like any other developer would make it so that you just have one save file that, like, keeps track, but when you start a new game, they straight up ask you, like, oh, yeah, um, hey, did you did you finish Urpina's scenario yet? Uh, we'll change some stuff around if you did, but, like, not too much, so, like, don't lie about... They literally tell you not to lie about yeah! it, which yeah! I think is hilarious, <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you don't get any bonus stuff, we just want to change some stuff around to, to reflect the fact you did it, and it's like, this is so weird. I feel like I'm going to the fucking doctor's office. Like, it's yeah. just so weird. Like, I... Okay, so, I feel like, uh, like, I don't know how it works for, like, I guess New Game Plus or anything, but I feel like when seeing that for the first time, I interpreted that as like, hey, if you played like the original Scarlet Grace on the Vita, we know you can't transfer your save over. Oh, you're right. That is what that would be. Yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be that'd be pretty funny if it was like New Game Plus. Like, yeah, we were we were too lazy in the Unity engine, which. <laughs> <laughs> that was real funny. <laughs> Loading up the game and it's like Saga Project Unity. Ha! Huh, I use that game engine. A lot of people I know use that game engine too. <laughs> it's a good engine. It's a good engine. Um, people like to shit on it for Unreal, but I think it's a good engine. It's pretty accessible. Most students use the Unity engine, which is why I use it. So yeah. it's real weird seeing this Square Enix game using this, yeah. like, connotationally budget-ass engine. This is a budget-ass game, though. It uh, is a budget-ass game! I, I, the, the, if there's one criticism I have, I those VN scenes do not look good. I'm sorry. Yeah. They're very I like, awkward. I like Antinomi's comments about, like, the VN scenes looking like a hentai browser game. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, they yeah. They're very uninspired in their presentation. Yeah, like, um, the, like the VN scenes are clearly taken from Unlimited Saga, but at least in Unlimited Saga, it worked a little better since all of the portraits were, like, drawn, but yeah. here, yeah. here they just use renders of, like, everyone's models, which is... 
Yeah, the fact that it's renders is what I think really gets Yeah, yeah. Like the renders, it looks super awkward. <laughs> yeah. The one... The two side quest things I've really had that I appreciated so far was, um, well, there's the one where early on in the game when Urpina is just allowed to kind of walk around and do whatever, you can talk to this one marquee who's nearby and you can be like, yeah. Oh, he's an asshole. <laughs> he's a real Well, it's like, asshole. yeah. So at first you're like, I hope you get along. And he's kind of like, yeah, well, whatever. And then later on your, uh, like hometown gets attacked and you go to be like, Hey, can you like help us out with like military support and all that stuff? And he like tries to use the opportunity to like kidnap Urpina and it's really creepy and you just kick his ass and then he's like, I'm fucking leaving. And it's, and like you leave the castle and like, you don't kill him or anything, but it just like, everyone's like, let's not go back there for a little bit. (laughs) It's like, it's just this really creepy thing. And this weird dude trying to take advantage of this young woman when her home is attacked it's really fucking weird yeah, uh he fucks off later on too like i don't know what happened to him like two-thirds of the way into the storyline so it's just it's just weird and like again just another life thing it's like oh in like your lowest possible moment there's always going to be some rich asshole that's like wants to exploit you <laughs> good to know yeah. uh but yeah. the other thing was that to the west, there's this forest that constantly generates these fiends from an unknown location. So you go through this gauntlet of fights and you find this tower that was built like hundreds of years ago uh, to help out uh, when the Firebringer was attacking. I almost said Firestarter, fucking Steven. <laughs> um, and you close up the portal and like Princess Urfin is like, well, that's not great because... I mean, it was kind of a good thing that that forest was crawling with fiends because that means that we couldn't be invaded from the west because nobody wanted to deal with that. And then Mondo, who's kind of like the big mentor figure, is like, better to be guarded by noblemen than by uh, cannibalistic monsters that we can't control. And she's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And it's just like there's a weird note to end the quest on. It's like kind of bittersweet that you cleared this forest full of monsters that were attacking people. (laughs) Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. This, um, one thing I read from an interview um, from 8th Floor was that, like, apparently, like, he, oh, like, over here, Saga is regarded as well known for its obtuse mechanics and gameplay, which rightfully, yeah, that sounds about right. But in Japan, like, people over there fondly look at the writing of these games, which I think is very interesting, like, reading this game's text in comparison to the other games, because definitely, like, the other game's stories, like, while competently written in their localizations, they weren't, like, really, like, standouts, but here, here, I think, like, the reason why I really like the localization is that it does feel more nuanced in the way that maybe was lost in translation um, with the other games, which I think makes for an interesting experience since I feel doing like Urpina scenario that while I am invested in doing the typical saga thing of like, oh, wandering around and doing stuff that story's pretty alright, I have to say. Like like I like Urpina's character that 
while it's still like a sort of like JRPG like happy go lucky sort of gal, that there are some moments where Urfina is just like of of rem- like there's parts in the dialogue that remind you that yes, Urfina is a princess from a ruthless empire that will in fact yeah! fucking shift up. Like <laughs> like it's she gets really excited at the beginning that she gets to go on patrol, and then, like, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, um, and, like, there's one point later on where, like, you get trapped in, like, the sewers of this one castle that you had to pass through to get to another territory, and the and they're all like, oh, man, like, this is real bad, we're gonna get fucked up, and Urfina is like, nah, let's, let's splatter their blood all over the floor or some <laughs> shit, and it's like, oh, damn. Yeah, because she is this, like, oh, like, her th- gimmick is that she doesn't have a lot of life experience, and a lot of the men in her life look down on her about that. Yeah. And, um, like, she's the sheltered princess from this huge empire, but, like, her version of going out and learning more about the world also has this tinge of like, oh, I'm gonna learn more about the row. I'm gonna learn more about the world, which is good because I'm gonna be in charge of ruling it partially yeah. in the future. And it's like, mm. <laughs> I feel a little, feel a little bad rooting for you. I hope you hope you change your mind about some things. Yeah, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, like it's it's um. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about this game's battle system a bit? Dude, oh, it's yeah. like one of the best. Oh, lord. It is one of the greatest of all time, unironically. Yeah. I I'm really digging it now that I'm starting to learn its nuances. I didn't I didn't know I wanted Saga to have all out attacks. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like so. First of all, this game has an interesting battle system that is actually explained to you which is yeah. a first for the saga series yeah and more than that you can pull up a menu and just get gameplay tips and like just a, everything you need to know as it comes up is just there and it's explained clearly and yeah. you don't need to know all that stuff i feel like to do fine but just like the more i read the more i read i'm like oh shit this goes deep yeah, yeah. no like um Rosin, you're gonna get to it, like, later on, but, like, this game is fucking hard. Like, Yeah, it's this, super hard. Like, this game is difficult in a much different way than, like, Romancing Saga 3, where there really isn't, like, any big way to cheese the system. You have to know, like, the ins and outs of, like, the main all-out attack mechanic. Yeah, I I could see that coming a a little bit. I I mean, even like some of the early fights, I was losing more characters than I thought I should be. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like learning the ins and outs of like the fucking all and out all out attack system it will, is what make will fucking make or break some battles. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like this. Like I want to say that this game's battle system is Saga's 
SMT Nocturne moments in terms of battle system design. Yeah, I hope they keep this because I think that they could do some interesting stuff with this. I've, obviously, I know the game itself will, but I mean, like, even just iterating upon it sequel to sequel, I think. Yeah. There's a lot of room here for... Because, like, a lot of the stuff is, like, stuff I've seen before, but just the way it's all employed here is really good. So basically how it works for people wondering what the fuck we're talking about. Uh, the main thing that this whole system is based off of is that there's a timeline like turn of like there's like an order turn that's displayed real big at the bottom of the screen and you at the start of your turn you can see what move not who's necessarily being targeted but you can see what move the enemy is going to use and then you cycle through your different characters and you you have like a, a set amount of stars and Every different type of skill that one of your party members can use costs a different amount of stars. So you can just make it so, like, eh, I don't want my healer to do anything this turn. So you can just skip over them and, and save up that energy for a bigger attack. Now, what makes this special is that some attacks delay the turn order of other enemies. Some of them will skip in line to, like, go away earlier. And this is important because if... An enemy or one of your party members dies and they're sandwiched between, uh, like, say for example you kill an enemy and they're sandwiched between two of your party members in a turn order, then everyone who, like, contributed to that kill uh, gets what is essentially a free all-out attack on a different enemy, and if you kill that enemy and they're also sandwiched between... It'll just chain until it's done. Yes. And it's a lot. And this applies to both allies and enemies. So there is a very interesting effect that this system has where, similar to SMT Nocturne's press turn system, this game really feels like the fights are brawls where things are kind of chaotic and hectic. But one thing that I think is really good about the system is because it applies to both enemies and allies in terms of getting these all-out attacks, like, they can function both as, like, a way to make an advantage that you have go further ahead, or you can use it to your advantage to turn a bad situation around. Because <clears throat> um, one thing that's important to note is that if an ally that you have is defeated um, between two of your allies, which basically, like, if there's three of them and the middle of them is killed, then the two party members will still get out an all-out attack as, like, a sort of revenge for their fallen ally. So, there's a lot to this, like, deceptively simple premise that you can that all of the strategy in this game revolves around in like later and it, levels it really does remind me of nocturne in a way too in like i don't think it's a one-to-one -one comparison in the way that i think a lot of listeners are going to be thinking about it but as someone who has played both it's like well i mean i'm only a few hours into this still granted yeah. but it it just takes so many of these 
familiar RPG mechanics and adds so many different strategic layers to it. Like, they have this counterattack system that really can mess with things. They have, like, a status effect where um, you can make it so that enemies are, like, friend or they're provoked and they have a higher likelihood of attacking yeah. specific party members. And then if you provoke them enough, they become frenzied and they will only attack that specific yeah. party member, which you can then use to bait them into counterattacks. Some party members uh, might be slower and go later in the turn order, but you can have them use an uh, an attack with the interruption tag, yeah. and that means that when an enemy uses a specific type of attack, um, the party member will interrupt that action and pull off their attack instead, thus fucking with the turn order. And it's like there are so many, there's so much depth here. Um, also. Poison. Poison! A, poison! Yeah. <laughs> poison. We need to talk about poison. This is one of the most unique takes on poison I've seen in an RPG. I feel like people can probably point out, like, oh, something's done that before, but, like, poison kind of fucking sucks in most cases against random encounters because it's percentage-based damage. But the game even points out, like, hey, if you can poison a boss their health is going to go downhill fast. It's very interesting. Yeah, like, poison is absolutely essential to have in this game. Considering, like, this game really feels like the fights are a race to, like, death, you know? Like, your turns are very limited in terms of, like, what you can actually do every turn, so every single bit of damage really counts in this one, so... And and also too, your much like again feeling that tabletop influence in these games, uh, your spellcasters all need to do incantations before they can summon a spell. Yeah, which means that they're basically skipping a turn and then getting the sc- uh, spell out. Or for more powerful abilities, sometimes they're skipping two turns, which can really suck because like you want to get out a big heal spell and you gotta wait a little bit for yeah. it. It's really tense. Magic in this game, in true saga fashion, still weird. Um, not as bad as previously, because, I mean, you have to use magic in this game differently because of the incantations. What it really amounts to is, like, hey, you have to invest those skill usages really early in the battle so that they can pull them off later. But, um... And depending on what type of element you have of of staff on your sorcerer and if you have a sorcerer in your active party you get bonus like magical like resources at the end of the encounter yeah which you this is how you learn new magic skills or ranking up your magic skills so which the learning system in this game cuz again magic is always weird somehow um is weird in the sense that apparently the progression in terms of the skills that you learn is a linear progression. So say for example you have um the uh what's what's the default uh thorn spell? Um Oh it's like Thorn, I don't remember the name of it either. Yeah. But Thorny Feathers, yeah. Um if you know that spell then you have to absorb uh, magic energy um, so that you have a chance of sparking, glimmering, whatever you want to call the learning system, light bulb. 
Um, Everyone calls it something different yeah. is what I've learned from interacting with the Saga fandom for so long. Yeah, like, they call it Glimmer in the actual localizations, but it doesn't roll off the tongue as well as Sparking. Yeah, I most people I knew back in the day called it Sparking, even though it was technically called the Glimmer system, so, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so... There's a linear progression in Magic where Thorny Fighters sparks into, I think, Call Lightning or something, and then Call Lightning sparks into Restoration. Um, I could be getting the order wrong, but you can only spark forwards in that direction. And so if you reach a point where you just stop sparking and the tree or path just loops back onto itself, then you gotta get a new staff to learn more Magic. So... It's weird. God, that's interesting. Like, w when I was fighting Creepy Marquis Dude or whatever, when he was trying to, like, kidnap Urpinar or whatever, yeah. like, I knew he was going to be a problem in the fight, so I had my archer paralyze him for, like, the majority of the fight because he also has a really high speed stat, so, like, he kept, like, I was like, okay, this guy's going to get, like, yeah. his turn real fast compared to everyone else, so I just... Like, the whole entire fight, I just made sure he was paralyzed and kept dealing with his guards that he was sending out, and then I just, like, all right, let's beat up the paralyzed guy. <laughs> like, Kick him down? Yeah. Which, honestly, was, like, a really thematically appropriate way, because that dude is such a weird-ass wimp coward incel man yeah. that, like... It just it just felt very appropriate that he got to do nothing that entire fight while we beat the shit out of him and his guards. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Mark, did you also Mark, you started with Urbana but then switched. Yeah, right? I started with Urbana and then I was like, oh I got stuck, so I switched to Leonard, and I'm so glad I did, because he it's so stupid. <laughs> so Leonard's story follows like him and his best friend character, I think well, I forget her name. I think it's like Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth. Like it follows like them and like the thing of like his story that he like runs into like this one like lady who talks about Ai Hanum, which is like this like super fucked up place from like the days of the Firebringer, <laughs> and then he just like constantly goes around like asking people what the heck it is, even though it's just like this old like bride's tale, <laughs> and everyone who talks who who like. He, he, every time he, like, talks to someone about Ihanam, they're just like, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Idiot! <laughs> like, that's the fucking shit that you tell your kids. <laughs> but yeah, his story's fun, because it's just nice to see how stupid he is, and the, how everyone else in the party just kind of puts up with his bullshit. <laughs> yeah, um, isn't Leonard's storyline pretty open in terms yeah, of yeah it's like, super like, open like yeah. I, I i got lost at one point because i'm just like what do i do <laughs> yeah like i've seen online that the comparison people tend to make about leonard scenario is that it's the loot of this game um yeah the really open-ended quest line in saga frontier where you can complete it in an hour yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fucking loot story. Oh my god. It really is interesting how, like, the different storylines are structured this time around, because Urbina is definitely like, hey, series newcomers, um, you should probably play this one. And apparently, the quiz 
the quiz results, um, if you haven't done any of the other storylines at all by by indication of the quiz, then it is kind of rigged to give you Urpana. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like, they really are like, yeah, if you never played this game or any of them before, you should really start with this one, because... Um, Urpina scenario is pretty, um, it's pretty linear. It still has a bit of openness in some places in terms of, like, the order that you can do certain things, but there is a storyline that, um, for the first third of Urpina's story, um, is a sort of linear progression of, oh, we gotta do this one big quest. Um, the second one actually opens up a bit more, um, but that's sort of, like, easing you in to, like, the traditional side experience, whereas Leonard seems to be more like, hey, you already know what the deal is about these games, go, go do your big adventure. Yeah, yeah, like, you literally, like, (laughs) literally, like, the only direction you're given is to go to this one specific town, and then after that, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if either of you, because this is kind of what I was talking about. Earlier. Did did either of you start doing like the weird like trading stuff that's in this game? I so uh, I don't know how to start the trading stuff. Yeah, me neither. Okay, <laughs> like apparently there's a shit ton of world building and like just a lot of information about the game's culture and how its cultures are changing in there that I'm really curious to see what they do with because everyone seems to love it to death. So yeah, there is definitely like interesting stuff to it. Like there is one section that you go as Urpina where you have to go on this like whole pilgrimage um for all of the celestials um and there is a lot of interesting bits like that scattered throughout the game that just explains or just in goes in detail about the culture of the world like and like throughout like one thing i appreciate throughout um Erpina's story specifically is like she's really disdainful of like priests and stuff in this world yeah like you can go to the temple right at the start of the game and the dude's like oh did did you bring an offering and she's like this is why i never come here <laughs> yeah <laughs> really funny yeah like the aforementioned pilgrimage that um i mentioned um there's one shrine where it's like yeah like have you come for an offering for the shrine Yada yada, and uh, I forget what it was, but like she has a similar similar reaction to that too, where it just seems like a lot of like priests throughout the entire game are like just like yeah, we're fishing for donations and like yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's Valuables. a lot of the churches. <laughs> a lot of churches are just like, hey, can you donate? <laughs> But um, there's also interesting bits, like, um, the only reason why I knew about the trading stuff was because I found, like, hay and stuff washed up ashore, and you eventually go to, like, the ends of the Earth, where there's literally a cliff that goes off into space. Like, like, flat Earthers rise up. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) 
but you go to this town at the very edge of the world that's just this really isolated snow town, and, like, <clears throat> the lady, if you talk to the one lady that's there, she's like, oh, yeah, do you find, like, my r one random crate of hay just all the way miles out? And you're like, yeah, and, like, she's like, yeah, I wanted to reinvigorate, like, farming culture and, like, the Empire and stuff like that, so... Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's really weird, but, like, there's a lot of little details like that that, like... And there's also, like, a whole subplot about fairy hunting that's really weird. Like, you can catch, like, fairies that, like, other fae hunters um, put down traps for, and they're... They are really big assholes, so, like, there's... Um, there's a point where you can go into town and someone's like, yeah, the Fae Hunters are kind of bad, and, like, Irfina's, yeah, like, yeah, I, I agree, they're kind of assholes, but you can also just give the fairies yourself to some random lady. On Wednesdays, there is a minor day system in that one particular part in, of oh. the game that isn't used anywhere else, but... That's weird. Yeah, like, every time you do a battle, like, a day of the week passes, and, like, every Wednesday you can offer fairies up for, like, materials. It's weird. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like. Cool. Yeah, I don't even know if it's really that worth it, since, like, you get, like, I think, like, 50 holy water. Like, I don't know if many equipments actually use holy water or not. But, like, yeah, it's either that moral choice, or you can- There's different things you can do with the fairy. You could either do that, or you could take them to, like, the fairy hole, or something like that, which is just a big fucking rock with a circle <laughs> hole in it. And oh my god. I don't know if it does anything, but the moment you put the fairy through the hole, like, monsters come out, so- <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure what the implication is there, but okay, sure. Um, but you can also just let the fairy go away from the trap, and I think if a week passes by, then if you check the trap again, it just recovers one LP for all of your characters. Which, I mean, situational. I don't know if it's really worth it, though. So, yeah. I... There's a lot of weird stuff in this game. Like, they've explained Dad. a lot of, like, the core systems, finally, for, like, the battle systems and stuff, but there's still a lot of obtuse- The blocking. Yeah. So if your character- if you decide to skip over a character so that one of your other characters can, like, get an attack off, uh, any character who isn't spending part of, like, the, like, battle points or whatever they're called uh, will just automatically block, and if they're equipped with a weapon, they'll block with a weapon, which is just, like, a flat, like, reduction of damage, but if they're blocked with a shield, they'll just, like, deflect it outright. It's so interesting. Yeah, like, and that's always how it's been in, like, all the Saga games, where there's just a weird, like, block-deflect sort of system with all shields and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, usually they happen passively, from what I know, yeah. and it wasn't so much, like, an inaction thing. And, like, this, it's, like, all about choosing, like, who wants to, like, put themselves out there. To, like, who do you want to risk in this fight so that they can do their cool attacks? Yeah. And who do you want to have preparing for other stuff, and who do you want to just chill out and defend? Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
it's so interesting. Yeah, and one thing I really like about the combat system is that it has a really good balance of, like, you know what's going to happen this round, but you don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, games like Slay the Spire and stuff like that are pretty good at, like, just being... Well... Oh wait, no, sorry. Um, Slay the Spire and like Darkest Dungeon. Those are the two that I'm going for. Where like <clears throat> they're very transparent in terms of like how much your attacks are going to do in terms of damage. Like <clears throat> it just lays out all of the m- numbers and mechanics for you out in advance. Whereas here, like you know what the enemy is going to do, but again, you don't know who's going to be targeted or yeah, how the how much damage you're going to do. So, like, you can still have enough information to plan around that, but there's always that sort of gambling factor of, like, I have to take a risk trying to hope that this one character deflects the attack or not, you know? Yeah, or, like, one of my knights has the interrupt spell, which hits every enemy on the field and has a chance of paralyzing them, so it's like... Do I spend a bunch of my action points to make it so that this character interrupts the first boar that attacks and hopefully paralyzes some of them so I take less damage overall? Yeah. Or do I do I instead use those points for just raw offense or raw defense? Like Yeah. You have to weigh out a lot of shit yeah. and it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's very intense, I say. Like there is a lot of fights later on with bosses where, like, the crux of my strategy is weighing on Mondo's sweep ability so that they get stunned and not use their party wipe attack. Like, yeah, there is a lot, like, this game is butt-clenching in a way that other RPGs haven't made me feel in a while. Yeah, like, I know there was, like, one fight in our story where I was just like, oh my god, I have to finish all these enemies off before they do their fucking big fuck you party attack that just kills everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those boars are still one-hit killing yeah. a lot of the party members. Yeah, like, that's the thing, too. And they're, like, start-of-the-game enemies. Like, normal enemies in this game will always kill someone, even if they're, like, easy fights, quote-unquote. Yeah, like, even the easy fights are just like, oh, there's still a chance of death that's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, and for context, this game has a battle, like, difficulty label for every fight where fights are labeled as easy, normal, or hard. And as I've played the game, I've realized that, like, it's more of an indicator for, like, one, how many enemies are going to be in this fight in terms of sheer numbers and two um how much reward you get out of it because easy fights can still be pretty well those act as like multi don't those act as multipliers a little bit too where it's like if you do the harder stuff you end up getting more stuff dropped at the end yeah Yeah. like i think that's like the main indicator because otherwise like sometimes there is just some quote-unquote easy fights that your party is just not set up for that people still like barely scrape by you know and like a lot of those easy fights are like at least like that forced one for example is like oh it's three like it's like two easy fights back to back and then a normal difficulty one yeah and it's like 
you go into it and it's like, oh, okay, there's a few boars, and then you get to, like, the normal one, and it's like, okay, I really need to think about what I'm doing here. And, like, yeah. you heal between every fight, yeah. so, like, you don't have to worry too much about it, and you can even switch out your party members between the fight, but it's just, like, you never really know what you're getting yourself in for. Yeah, and, like, the thing about, like, the LP system in this game, it, it's le it's not as bad as, like, the earlier games where it's like permadeath like here like you just need to sit out your party members for a couple of fights for their lp to recover at all points so um but at the same time however one of the reasons why this game is so difficult is because when a party member is wiped out of their hp um they cannot be revived for that fight so <clears throat> Um, every time a character dies, um, in a battle, like, you lose out, like, one of your main players, which, on the one hand, it gives you more points for doing bigger attacks with the characters that you do have still around, but on the other hand, like, now everyone's gonna gang up on those characters, which may or may not be frail, like, spellcasters, so... And what I think is really funny is that your downed characters can still gain stats and learn stuff. Yeah, which, honestly, thank god. <laughs> thank god, or else the progression would be slow as hell in this game. But it's really funny because, like, in the victory animation screen, it just cuts to them, like, passed out, and then it's like, oh, Urpina learned, uh, or, like, gained a new level in sword. And then she'll, like, slowly, like, kind of, like, raise her hand and face up and is like, I'm still alive. And it's, like, it's just really pathetic looking and funny. I love it. Yeah. Um, the camera angles are a little extra in this game, I will say. Yeah. Like, the camera's flying all over the place in these battles in a way that sometimes I think looks really shoddy. But... Yeah, that's Unity Cinema Machine, I... I think there is a specific package for cameras in Unity that I don't know if it came out during the time that this game was made, but I may or may not have used that camera system before. <laughs> uh. Um, but yeah, no, this this game, um, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, still budget as hell. Um, I want to give a special shout out to the. <clears throat> PNG clip art animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen the dog Rosin and Urpina scenario? Yeah, you, uh, I, you. I haven't, but you've shown the dog to me. Yeah, there's a lot of random animals, like dogs, and like there's a seal in like the Fey Hunters area. That, by the way, that seal can totally get murdered by the Fey Hunters if you don't shoot it off into the ocean. <laughs> Oh no! Like it's so it's so weird because it's like oh man like poor baby but like the actual scene of like you discovering the seal being eaten by crows like they don't have like a picture for like a different or rather a different image for the seal being dead it's still the same seal from when it's alive so it looks really weird because it has a it still has the same like <laughs> smile but it's like oh yeah the seal's dead <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> like not even like blood or anything like no it's just seal he's dead <laughs> it's it's real weird 
Mark, do you have any closing Scarlet Grace thoughts? Mark? Oh no, did we lose Mark? Oh no. Oh fuck. Uh oh. Uh oh, stinky. <laughs> oh well. Um, oh. I will. S <laughs> I'll use this opportunity to talk about um some odd things from this game. Um, one thing I do miss from Scarlet Grace coming out of Romancing Saga Three is the sense of weirdness that was in Three. Like this game definitely feels like it harkens more towards again Romancing Saga Two and its kind. Um, maybe even like Saga Frontier Two ish. Yeah, those are the two generational ones. Yeah. Oh, Mark, you are about you are alive. Yeah, I am alive. Sorry, my internet's cutting out. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Yeah, but <clears throat> no, we we raise. Oh yeah, thank you. Close your thing. We're gonna ask for your closing thoughts on Scarlet Grace, Mark. Oh, but... uh, yeah. I, I see. Well, yeah. Scarlet Grace is a good game. I don't really have a lot to say about it because I'm still like in the middle of playing it. But like, as what I've played so far is pretty good. That's a good time. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if you're listening, if you've stumbled your way through the corridors of the internet to like hear our voices right now, you are probably a person who would enjoy Scarlet Grace. Yeah. Even yeah. if you may not be inclined, even if you may not be inclined to enjoy other saga games, I feel like Scarlet Grace is like honestly, it does feel like a nocturne moment for the series. I feel like this is going to be. I think this is going to inform a lot of saga moving forward, or at least it should. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it'd be, I think it's going to be a good jumping on point for a lot of people. And I know a lot of, I know a lot of Saga diehards are saying that it's a, probably the best new starting game alongside Minstrel Song. Yeah. So, yeah. Which yeah. is weird since this game is, in my opinion, a lot harder than Minstrel Song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it counterbalances with the fact that, like, the spine of this game is just the battle system. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you don't have to worry about getting lost necessarily at... Well, I guess technically you did get lost, but, like... I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, a lot of that type of stuff, though, is kind of de-emphasized in favor of... <clears throat> excuse me. In favor of just more of, like, a focus on battles and stuff. Like, you're not going to get stuck in a dungeon in this oh, game. Oh, no. Which is, yeah. um... This is good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... I've gotten lost in many a dungeon in Minstrel Song, so... Oh, yes, because yeah. the dungeons in those games suck ass. Yeah, like, that's the <laughs> thing. And that camera system is not the best. Yeah, like, that's the thing. It's like, there are people who are, are like, yeah, I really wish there was dungeons in like this game, but they don't realize that Saga Dungeons usually suck, so yeah, I kind of prefer... The they're not great. Yeah, I kind of prefer, if they're not gonna do it well, that they don't do it at all, which is yeah. fine by me. <laughs> like... They, they're either, like, overly simple, or just a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah like, there's, there's no in-between. <laughs> yeah. Like, people give shit for, like, Bravely Default, and, like, those other square RPGs that are just like corridors with branches in terms of dungeon design. Like, ooh, lord, they have not played a song game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine if those corridors had like bullet hell movements. Yeah! <laughs> bullet <laughs> hell trying to avoid these stupid enemies. <laughs> Sometimes they'll teleport to you if you're playing Minstrel Song. Like, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's why like... are there like nine of them in this narrow ass hallway? It's so bad. It's so bad.
Oh my god. But, um, yeah, no, as I was saying, like, uh, one thing that's, like, is, like, after coming off of Romancing Saga 3, like, Scarlet Grace is definitely more safe in terms of, like, setting. Like, there's nothing that's, like, been overtly weird, quote-unquote, in terms of story in Urbina scenario. There is two bits, though, that I want to give a special shout-out to that I think sort of has a bit of hints of that weird. Um, One is that there is a certain weapon that you get later on that I don't know if you can actually use in battle or not, but... um. One very important item that you need to get in Erpina's storyline is a magic chainsaw. It's just a oh hell yeah! It's just a chainsaw, and I'm pretty sure it's a reference to like Saga One, you know, with the hell yeah with the one exploit. But like, damn, like I I hope that can be usable at some point. I feel I get the feeling that it may not actually be usable in like actual fights, which bumps me out since the weapon system in this game. It's pretty clear-cut in what weapons are in terms of what types they are. But, um... But, um... One other thing that I think at least redeems the weirdness factor in my eyes of Scarlet Grace is there is a side quest where if you go to one region of the game, there is a whole chain of events that involves, like, investigating basically urban legends and cryptids in the area. Oh, fuck yeah. And there is one part in that side quest chain where um, Urbana and Mondo are investigating Bigfoot, and one of the the fucking funniest things that came out of that side quest is that the game's writing reveals that Mondo is a big fucking Bigfoot fanatic. That's like Oh, that's good. It's really fucking funny and weird cuz like throughout most of the Do they literally call it Bigfoot? Yes, they literally call it this Bigfoot. This is good. And like it's really weird cuz like throughout the game Mondo is basic is pretty like <laughs> I mean, he's a character. He's not like I don't think he's very like notable, but like he's like pretty average like good old dude sensible you know and then this quest he goes like oh how i'm like yo urfina you love bigfoot i sure do and urfina's like what are you talking about (laughs) like (laughs) and then it ends with like depending on how you do it it ends with mondo like getting into a fight with monsters because he thinks that they devoured bigfoot it's so fucking ridiculous like, oh god. I'm kind of disappointed that Bigfoot isn't playable, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I feel like that would have been... That would have been an easy thing to do, honestly. Because I feel like the lack of, like, the weird party members like Boston in this game is just because of, like, <laughs> hey, most of the characters that you use are human models, so... The series sold out. You can't recruit snowmen and walking lobsters or elephants anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Where is the goddamn robots? Um, so I I get it that like, hey, we want to use humanoid animations for all these models because clearly they recycle 
animations for all of them for every skill. They use the same ones, so um, no ignoring that. But at the same time, like you could have made just a hairy man model and called him Bigfoot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a good time. I'm like, again, I'm third, like two thirds of the way in, and they basically there is a moment in like the third arc of Urpina's storyline where they basically pull a romancing saga three and it's like, hey, here's the main quest line now. <laughs> Remember that Firebringer? Oh, well, here. <laughs> here you go. God, what a cool design, too. I can't wait to see what they end up doing with him. Yeah, he's real. Because the- I know he'll probably be back. Yeah, but, I mean- no, it's real. It's real interesting just listening to all, like, the minstrel songs. Heyo, um, in this game. Where hey, I thought that was a little on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause oh, there's a minstrel, and I'm gonna listen to his song. Gee whiz, yeah. <laughs> just like, just just like that one remake you guys put out. Yeah. Um, no, it's they're really they're really well written though too, which is good. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty good. Um, but um, one thing I I am super curious about is the Firebringer's characterization, because one thing that's pretty prevalent throughout the game is, like, how people have interpreted the Firebringer as time passes. Like, there was one legend in one area of the game where there was a huge lake in the center, and if you listen to, like, the song um, that um, the lake was, in legend, created by the Firebringer because he was, I guess, drunk and decided to take a nap in the center of the land and his nap created a big giant hole Um, and when he woke up and saw the big giant hole he cried tears until it got filled into a (laughs) lake which is a really interesting characterization for the big bad of this game that like oh man I made a hole (laughs) (laughs) I mean even too like he even the intro uh opening cutscene thing is a uh the way he's depicted is like at first as like a Promethean like he gifted he gifted humanity with fire yeah. like type figure which i mean literally that's where the name firebringer comes yeah. from and then it cuts to oh but in his betrayal he was dubbed the wicked one by the other celestials and like he started to wage war and like he goes from this promethean like hey, i'm going to give y'all like the gift of fire to what straight up just feels like a Lucifer yeah. type entity. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering, like, where are they going to go with this? Because I was, I was kind of wondering if, like, oh, I wonder if the thing here is maybe he's not as bad as people think he is. Yeah. I'm very curious to see what they do yeah, with it. Yeah, like, there's vibes of that that I get, and, like, a sort of, like, trickster vibe as well in terms of his legends in the game, which, again, yeah, I'm curious as well. Especially too, like I mean, if this game is if this game is so concerned with like culture and how different peoples interacting with one another starts to shift and change different people's cultures, yeah. th- they could do a lot of cool stuff with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, should we get to emails? Uh, sure. I don't really have a lot yeah. of else to say. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, this first one comes in from Ash Lee, who says, In case you guys didn't bring it up in the Saga discussion, how do you guys feel about Octopath Traveler? I haven't played any Saga games myself, but when they revealed Octopath Structure, I thought this sounds a lot like a Saga game. Uh, me too, actually. Yeah. Um, so if you've played it, how does it compare? <clears throat> Would you recommend it as a gateway into the series? Um, so, uh, Octopath um, is weird. Octopath Traveler is weird. So... I'd say there's similarities, but I would not say they, it's... So they have similarities, but I believe that they are very superficial. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the overarching structural, like... Pr- not not even structural, but, like, I'd say same premise, different take. Yeah. Like, and, like, I mean, it's not like Square Enix hasn't even made, like, other anthology-esque sort of RPGs, like, say, Live Alive. Um, yeah. Is that how you pronounce that? I always, I never fucking know I don't know either. Title. Like, I call it Live Alive. I said, I've said Live Alive since live I knew it existed. Yeah, Live Alive, yeah. Live Alive, Live, live Alive. Like, live no one live. knows. <laughs> but. Can we just call it Lal? Can we all agree to call it Lal? Oh, God. I... I'm trying to think, because is Octopath a good gateway into Saga? I I wouldn't say... The only thing that I think that I'd say helps is, like, um... Because one thing I heard that really made a lot of people mad about um, Octopath, which I... Because I also kind of was thinking, like, oh, this is this is kind of like a new take on Saga, so it didn't bother me, was, like... There's a lot of people that went into Octopath thinking, oh, this is going to be like Final Fantasy VI and everyone's story yeah. is going to interact and cross yeah. together. And both Saga and Octopath, I think, are more... They're not so much a giant epic fantasy novel as they are an anthology of short stories that happen to take place in the same world. Yeah. Um, And they have a through line in the form of a main quest, but mostly your characters are going to be dealing with their own things and the storylines are going to be focused on a few characters and the fact that other characters are there aren't is not going to play much of a contributing factor yeah it is it is a series of many interwoven individual stories that you will go through in whatever order you see fit yeah like yeah. i guess if you go into that sort of mindsets of like octopath priming you for something like Saga, then maybe in the right mindset like that, it could be good. Yeah, I could see it. Like, cause... I think the big thing is that Octopath plays so traditional, like, traditional RPG yeah. style that, yeah. like... The- the real, the real tough part of Saga is like, oh god, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing yeah. or how I'm supposed to like fight or do anything. Yeah, like, that's the main... I guess hurdle is that like Saga is extremely mechanics focused first and foremost like all of the weird bits of like lobsters or like world building like all of that is like I feel like if Kawazu had to he would totally like just cut those out for like all of the core gameplay like that isn't really the case in Octopath. It's very evident that they do want to focus on, like, the storytelling and have a lot of, um, I guess, 
uh, a lot of the content goes into like writing out all of the eight characters' individual storylines. Yeah. So... It's very focused. Sometimes in Saga, especially the earlier games, they just ran out of time, and some of those characters just don't have finished yeah. storylines. Oh, yeah. Or, like, shit just gets left oh. out, and, like, there's just kind of, like, whatever. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Don't, don't remind me that, like, half of Saga Frontier 1 is just unfinished. <laughs> the main love interest of Saga Frontier 2 got shafted, and someone else became the main love interest because they didn't have enough time to write her story. Yeah. <laughs> like, this... They're just like, oh, we don't, she's, we can't write this love story, let's just, she'll, you can technically still romance her, but this other girl who we finished writing stuff for, she's fine. Yeah, yeah just go for her instead, like, I, I feel like Octopath sits in a really unfortunate intersection of, like, trying to do Final Fantasy and Saga-esque things, but taking away, like, not uh, appealing to neither. Because yeah. <laughs> definitely, like, Final Fantasy games, you do it for, like, the main party characters and how their adventure gets resolved through trials and tribulations where they become big friends, big lovers, yada yada. Um, yeah. And Saga is like, hey, go do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> like, just play the game. You'll beat the final boss eventually. Um, where... And to make up for that, Saga usually presents things like really unique takes on world building, or like really unique mechanics, and lots of little things to discover in terms of gameplay. <laughs> but Octopath is both really. It's both really. Hmm, how do I describe it? Like, they have an open world, quote unquote, but it's not really designed around, like, you going anywhere as you please. Like, there's clear level gap yeah. gates in terms of progression. Yeah, there's, like, clear story. level gates and, like, clear, like, oh, you have to be this level to, like, proceed. Yeah. Which is, which is in, like, Saga, there isn't that, because that game is just like, hey, do whatever you want on your own fucking yeah. face. Yeah, like... <laughs> if you get into trouble, it's your own fucking fault. Yeah, you? like, people, like, people tend to rag on, like level scaling in RPGs and like I think it's in Saga's case it's a good exception to that where the trade-off for having enemies get stronger alongside you is not only that like hey like you will learn better skills with stronger enemies that you encounter but also like you can you really can go anywhere you want without having fear of like getting blocked off by, like, level 45-something enemies, unlike Octopath. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the games, as, as obtuse and frustrating as they can be at times, I think that especially, like, Romance and Saga's 3Ks, like, well, I mean, like, all the games are like this, where you're, you have a better chance of getting better skills from tougher fights, and also on top of that, like we said, you heal after every fight just automatically, so you don't gotta worry about that. The games do a good job of balancing out what you need to be worried about compared to, you know, it. They once you start to get the workings of whatever saga game you're playing, I feel like you're you really start to appreciate how it's put together, even if sometimes you can yeah. get into some whack-ass situations. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, what, what would you 
recommend for like intro to saga because for me it's very obvious like if you don't want to play saga one which has a fantastic and fan translated um remake on the wonder swan color it's the only wonder swan color game i've ever played to this day um and if life permits i'd like to let's play that at some point in the future um it's a short game and it's interesting the the wonder swan remake version is very good the game boy version is still available obviously though and is a classic uh but other than that romance and saga minstrel song and saga scarlet grace are both critically some of the most well received and generally i think most people hold them up as the ones to start with if you want to get invested in the series yeah yeah like scarlet grace is by far the most accessible right out of the gates you don't have to yeah. look up faqs or anything to progress in yeah, you don't have to look up yeah. FAQs for guessing that game, unlike Minstrel Song, which is a, which is a very guide-heavy game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, and also, honestly, I feel like these games in general, like, do not be afraid to look shit up, because yeah. you're just gonna get stuck otherwise. If you don't look up stuff, you're definitely gonna get stuck, oh my god. <laughs> well, I mean, even, I feel like they kind of admitted that with Romance in Saga 2 and Romance in Saga 3, they both added, like, a mid-game New Game Plus feature, where at any point you can just start a new game and carry over all your old shit, because yeah. it's better than just starting over <laughs> blind. Yeah. So. Yep, I did that in Romance in Saga 3. <laughs> yeah, I'd honestly say that, like, Romance in Saga 2's a pretty good jumping on point because of the way that the game is structured. Yeah, just the way the game's structured everything makes it a in, very good jumping on point. Yeah, because the way that 2 is structured is that it's pretty clear what you have to do is like build up your empire and stuff like that, but the main thing I point to is that there is one NPC in the castle that will tell you just straight up, like, hey, here's like the problems we have in the empire, and those are your requests, so you can just seek those yeah. out. Yeah, and like, the map... you, like, yeah, like yeah. your aide will literally tell you what quests you can do at the moment, and it's like, hey, thanks, that's pretty useful. Yeah, <laughs> and the way that the map is structured is structured in a way where you can't just go anywhere, everywhere, at all times, like, so yeah. it's not too hard to not get lost. And and literally none of these games are tied story-wise together, pretty much, so you don't need to worry about that. There is, like, the romancing games have a recurring character, but it's more of, like, a... it's It doesn't really it's matter. It's more of a curiosity <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, it's more of, like, a, oh, this character's the same across all three games. It's a little, huh. But, I mean, it's it doesn't tie into any of the games, really, in a way that matters. Yeah. Um, so you, you, like, the only thing I'd say is, like, the games tend to be, like, different takes on a lot of similar ideas and themes, so if you want to see how they evolve, like, yeah, sure, you could play them all from the start, but if, like, honestly, you can, from a story standpoint, they're all pretty unique and stand up to their own merits. But who cares about all of that? Go play Unlimited Saga! (laughs) Oh, That's... the best one. Yeah, that maybe maybe hold off on that. Go <laughs> play Romancy Saga One on the SNES. Mm. Oh, that one's uh, bad. Not not <laughs> that, that one either. Bad. Yeah, that one's just that bad. game. That that game is literally busted and unfinished to the point that like there's like eight magical artifacts in that world, and there's a quest in that game where you beat a boss and you're supposed to get one. And for the Super Nintendo version, they just didn't add in the thing that adds the item to your inventory. Yeah. So you just never get it. Yeah. I mean, you don't need a com- 
you don't need it to complete the game, but like, it's just not there. <laughs> yeah, Tangent, I want to say, I'm glad they made remakes of 2 and 3, um, specifically because when I first played both Romancing Saga 1 and Romancing Saga 3 on emulators for the first time, way back when, the main issue as to why I had trouble getting into those games was specifically the UI and UX design. Because oh, yeah. those games have very minimalist UI back in, like, the SNES days. So, like, because your HP and LP aren't displayed at all times, and oh. at least with, like, the original versions of the games, they don't tell you what skills do. So, yeah, they don't. <laughs> like, if you're using, like, say, for example, like, a block or counter skill in those games, like, it feels like the character is probably doing nothing. Like, you don't know yeah. what, you don't know that, what that reminds does. me too. It it is worth saying that Romancing Saga Minstrel Song and Saga 2 and Saga 3 for the DS um both do the thing where they're remakes of older games in the series, but they add in mechanics from Saga Frontier 1 and 2 as well. Yeah. So, like, there are these weird recursive adaptations, so keep that in mind if you're, like, a completionist and really want to play everything, but, like, honestly, like, I think the Super Nintendo version of Romancing Saga 1 from what I played is just really bad, and I can't recommend it in good faith. Just play the PS2 remake, you'll be a lot happier. Hey, to drive home how bad it is, in that game, when you learn skills on your weapons, it's based by individual weapon levels that you can instantly forget and lose if you decide to equip a different weapon. Yep! <laughs> it's bad. It's not good. It's not good. I mean, they they even partially said, too, there's an interview going around where, like, part of the reason for Minstrel Song, like, just as a remake, is that Romancing Saga 1 was a very, like, a lot of Saga games feel unfinished in different ways, but Romancing Saga 1 was a very unfinished game, <laughs> and they, they're they like, oh, we want to give this another pass and really give it the attention it deserves, and they they did it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Can't, can't um, wait for the Saga Frontier remake. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, God. I would be so hyped. <laughs> Make that lane game look good. <laughs> can't wait for it to also uh, be made in Unity. Hell yeah. Anyways, thanks, Ashley, for the email. This next one is from Mizu, who simply asks, Yo, what's the last tech you sparked IRL? Sorry for the long email. <laughs> Wait, what? What? I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, <laughs> interpret this one, because... This... You know the latest tech I sparked IRL? <laughs> Was the realization for the title Star Ocean. Oh my god! Oh my god. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> so I'm just gonna read this tweet from a few hours ago yeah, I made. I mean, <clears throat> so a few hours ago, I tweeted. First line of the tweet. Wait a fucking minute. Line break. It's called Star Ocean because space, right? Line break. Fuck. <laughs> yep. Yeah. To be fair, I've never played a Star Ocean. The same. Leave also, to be fair, I didn't know that it was called Star Ocean because of that Ivor, so, you know. <laughs> to be fair, I also, mean... for a game series about space, there's surprisingly not too much focus on the space. I've heard that from many people. Yeah. 
Like there's a disappointing amount of space in the Star Ocean game. Yeah, like um, yeah. What what things did you recently learn on the fly that were glimmer esque? Mm. Did either of you think of anything? Um, no, no sudden realizations. Um. God. Mm. Wow, this is a hard question. Yeah, this is a really hard question. Um, I think I think the honest to god answer is I, hmm, I don't know. I wish I could spark how to get my chair unstuck right now because some because sometimes like I'm able to like lean back in the chair I'm sitting in right now and just go way back, but sometimes it gets stuck and I don't know how I get unstuck, but I really wish I knew how to do it consistently. So maybe I should fight stronger enemies with a better battle, right? There you go. Yeah, I really cannot think of anything. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that question was a good way for neither of you to contribute and to make myself look like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thanks. So, <laughs> thanks, Mizu. Um, this one's from Red Mage, who says, I really like your guys' podcast. You guys uh, also made playing the second half of Bravely Default somewhat bearable. Oh my god. Uh, as a thanks, I dare Rosin or whoever happens to be reading this to sing this, and uh, they linked to a very long uwu style cover of a song, and I'm not reading this. Yeah. That's my Christmas present to y'all, is not subjecting anyone to that. Wow. Merry Christmas. Um, coward! <laughs> I say well, as a fellow coward myself! <laughs> yes, same! <laughs> there we go. This one is from Collector Togami, who says, Hey, got a few questions about Saga for your podcast. Regarding Romance in Saga 3, what are your thoughts, experiences with the stock market and Loan managing minigames, and what do you think of the large-scale fight mechanics? <gasps> Uh, I think we mostly talked about the capitalism yeah. stuff. Did either of you do do the war mini game? Yes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it comes it, up. It, yeah, in Cal scenario, you have to do it. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. Th- so there's one. There's two places that you do it in Katarina scenario. One is a side quest, and one is mandatory. Um, those games are the war games are interesting. Um, yeah, they're, they're interesting. I don't know if they're necessarily good. Person. Yeah, are they like are are they kind of like the capitalism game where it's like a push and pull? Yeah, <laughs> actually, kind of. weirdo, weirdly enough, yeah, kind of. So basically, the war game is like you have your two opposing armies, of course, represented by like little sprites, um, and basically the objective is to um, push back the enemy. So you have like two sides and. Um, you can do like commands like, "Hey, push forward and try to break for break the enemy line and push them back to the other side of the screen." Um, there's also defensive maneuvers, retreating, all that stuff, and sometimes you'll get commanders with different skills that do different things, like boost your attack and whatnot. Um, I think, like, all Saga things, the mechanics are pretty obtuse, so figuring out, like, winning strategies in the game without, like, any real online help is a little frustrating. Um, 
Especially... Is this, like, the main minigame for Mikhail, I'm assuming? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... That makes sense Katarina would do it then, too. Yeah, so... And... I mean, the minigame, thankfully, at least in the characters that aren't Mikhail, um, thankfully, winning the battles are not super mandatory for completing the game. Yeah. Um, you don't get too much out of doing the optional one, uh, besides like, yeah. a good chunk of change, but it's not yeah. as much as the capitalism minigame. Yeah, the only thing you get for the offer wall, you know, it's like <laughs> some fucking uh, money, yeah, and like, if you win or lose, you get like, choice dialogue, like, Eva Town. it's just like, if you like, lose on one side, it's like, ugh, can't believe we lost. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, on the other side of the town, like, it They'll be like, wait, what was the fucking point of this war? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, <clears throat> it doesn't affect much, but it is... I think the war minigame is interesting in how, like, that and, like, the capitalism minigame sort of show, like, uh, Saga as a series taking some experiments and auxiliary gameplay mechanics that aren't really essential to, like, the core game. Uh, yeah. Compared to something like Scarlet Grace, which is really, really centered around, like, combat and nothing else. Like, it is an interesting footnote in the series history, which I don't know if I would want them to do those sorts of minigames in the future. But it is a sort of, I guess, quaint sort of addition in Romancing Saga 3 that I did appreciate. Alongside, yeah, like, it's all, it's in the same vein as, like, Boston and the Snowman in terms of, like, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's there. there. It's there. It builds character. It's there, and it's fun, and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um... Regarding Scarlet Grace, which of the character stories did you enjoy the most, and what team formation did you uh, do you enjoy the most in it? And what are your overall thoughts on the magic system for this game? Uh, I feel like we covered the magic system. Yeah, magic is. Uh, I think magic is better than what I've used in the romancing saga games. Yeah, um, definitely. I can agree yeah, with definitely. that. Like, you have to get like a good spellcaster for them to work. Like the default. One you get for um Erpina scenarios so on. He's a he, he's worthless. Like he's just yeah, like same. Like, like default one that I got for Leonard scenario too was just fucking useless. Yeah, like <laughs> man, o OG Saga had some real OP fucking magic spells, especially the stuff the monsters could do. Yeah, like later on, Ella said though. Ella said um really converted me to magic, and along with um some other priest lady that I forget. She's a nun. That is the only source of healing in the game. Yep. So, so like, that's appreciated. Um, but, yeah, no, magic is useful for AoE and healing, which, like, in this game, you don't get a lot of that in, like, any of the weapons, so that's appreciated. But, yeah, yeah. percussion is weird. Um, uh, what about character formations and, like, favorite character stories and stuff? 
So, uh-huh. I mean, obviously... I haven't messed around with formations at all in Scarlet Grace yeah, yet. So... I will say that the ones that are, like, based on, like, defeating a certain amount of enemies and getting a certain amount of BP out of them are, like... How, how are you supposed to use those? Yeah, so, yeah, like, okay, so, like, when we were talking about, like, BP earlier, for listeners, um, BP is not universally recovered by, um, I guess, gaining them every turn. Some formations have special conditions that you have to complete to get more BP in battle. There's a lot of them that is, that is dedicated towards gaining 2 BP per enemy kill, with the benefits being that you have a much higher BP cap than other formations. They're very difficult to use because you start out with very low BP, so it's hard to really get an advantage early on in battle. So with enemies being as brutal as they are, it's there are some formations like that that are very situational. Like, I can see there being, like, maybe some sort of gimmicks for some fights that could potentially make use of them, but overall, I think that, like, the better formations to use are the ones that specialize in specific um, weapon users. Um, Yeah. For example, the one that I'm using right now is the one that focuses on short swords, so whoever is put in a specific slot in the formation gets um, BP cost reduction for their short sword skills. So I use that for Urpina, because at this point I've made Urpina pretty powerful in short swords due to a certain side quest in her scenario that makes her way better at short swords than other other characters. So um, those ones are good, I'd say. Yeah. Um, the one I'm using right now in Leonard's scenario, which is called Crooked Cross, like, it's like four, four of your party members are, like, up front, and they have, like, increased attack, and there's one party member that's in the back, and the party member that's in the back has, like, reduced, like, a- a- animity from enemies, so I use that spot for, like, a mage, and I use everyone else up front, like, up front attackers, and it's been helping me out for most of the game. <laughs> yeah. It's legit the opposite of my Romancing Saga 3 formation, which is Katarina in the front, everyone else in the back, and Katarina's my tank because she's that badass. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good-ass formation, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and was there one other thing that was mentioned? Or... Oh, just which character stories did you enjoy the most? I mean, which I don't feel like I'm far yeah. enough to talk about just yeah, yet. Yeah, but... I mean, we haven't done all of the characters yet. Yeah, so, I just, like, yeah, hard just to some... say. Just on Erpida and Leonard, but I enjoy Leonard a lot just because he's so stupid and like that. <laughs> yeah. Um I will say not specifically like character storylines, but there are some specific party members that I do have a fondness for. Um I think one specifically I wanna give a shout out to is like Jamto in Erpina scenario. He's just some dude in armor you never see his face but like yeah <laughs> the way that he's written like he comes up he comes off as like such a tryhard for whatever reason that it circles back from being like a sort of like god he has one battle quote that is so extra and i can't <sighs> remember what it is at the moment but like 
dude's delivering Shakespearean dialogue anytime he fucking kills someone, and it's so intense. Yeah, like, I feel like it's sort of... It sort of steps the bounds of, like, me interpreting him as, like, some sort of neckbeard with, like, the whole, like, oh, have I gotten stronger in protecting the lady? (laughs) Oh, yeah. He always talk... He's always talking about my lady. It's so funny. But at the same time, like, you get shit like his fucking, like... (laughs) Whenever he sparks, like, a skill, like, he just says some, like, really like metal line that's like it kind of circles back to being like okay he's kind of endearing to me in a way yeah um i love one of the party members that you get in fucking leonardo's story i think his name is jerome just because just because he he's literally his character description is literally why am i here (laughs) 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 and literally all of his fucking voice lines are just like Oh, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cool. Um, like, he's just like, also, oh, alright. Uh, there's one other character. <laughs> Literally when he dies, I'm just um, like, oh my god. Who is this really weird, um, I guess fairy person? Like, the whole, the whole gag with him is, like, people say he's, like, a sprite or something, but, like, he denies it even though he's, like, really weird and has a really weird voice. Like, he, like, I almost feel like he's, like, some, like, Asian stereotype I don't know about, (laughs) but, like, Mm. he's really weird and lanky, and, like, um, (laughs) he's also, like, one of the more talented and strong party members that you can get, because he has level 17 in all weapons, and his passive- Oh my god? Yeah, and his passive ability- is instructor which basically raises everyone's weapon levels to match his so like <laughs> the downside is that he doesn't have a lot of health both hp wise and lp wise but he's such a weirdo that like <laughs> i've <laughs> i don't know like like i kind of dig it um also whenever when you beat him in, like, the duel, because part of his side quest is that you have to duel him in Erpina in a solo fight, which is pretty cool, but also hard as shit if you don't have a good Erpina. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was about to say. Yeah, like, there's one option that you can choose. If you don't want him to be in your party, you can just tell him, like, yo, throw your blade into the trash, like, fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so pathetic. It's great. Oh. Oh my goodness! But also, also Elizabeth uh, uh, from Leonard's story is very, very good. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Dang. Last part of this email is last but not least. We are now uh, at several JRPGs being released after years in Japan only, ranging from recent like uh, Scarlet Grace to Romance and Saga two to three. Nearly two decades later, uh, any predictions on who or on I? think they mean on what realistically will come out next uh honestly at this point i don't fucking know they could put out treasure of the rudras oh, officially God. and be like yeah oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> that one's a pull yeah i i wouldn't blink but, like eye. i wouldn't like honestly like low-key i don't know what's stopping them from putting live a live out yeah yeah. I, yeah like because that's one that 
I think if they want some, like, real easy goodwill with fans, like, that's a name that a lot of people recognize. A lot of people really, really love that game from, like, that JRPG fan translation scene. Um, I I could see that one. I don't know if there's any outstanding rights issues with that coming out from... I don't even know who owns the rights to that game. Yeah, um, I mean, Square Enix should still have the rights, like... I didn't. I, I didn't even know if that was a Square game or not. So yeah, that is a Square. Game. Yeah, it's literally a Square game. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, other like, that's the that's the big one that I think is is honestly. I'm surprised that it just weirds me out that game has never been re released either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because I know Japan loves that game to death too, and it's never been on anything other than the Super Famicom, which is fucking weird. Well, actually, no, that's a lie. Uh, on in June 2015, it came out on the Wii U in Japan for the Virtual Console, and on the new Nintendo 3DS in Japan the following year. Oh, Virtual oh, Console oh, as well. Huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. After, I mean, after Trials of Mana, got like. Yeah, like, I feel like pre-Trials of Mana, I would have had better answers, but, like, after that, it's, like, fucking break the whole goddamn dam down, I like, like, I feel like they could put out anything, and I think they know it will sell reasonably. Yeah, I'll fucking put out Unlimited Saga for a second time, like, just try mm. it, Kawazu. <laughs> <laughs> tank, tank the entire series again. Unlimited yeah, Saga 2. Just lose all that goodwill we got. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything else that, like... We'll see what gets brought over, but I, I feel like we are... We're in a good time. I feel like... Yeah, I think we're at a good time. I think we're still gonna constantly, for the rest of the decade, see just random RPG classics finally get official localizations, whether that be, like... Trials of Mana style, like, actually going in and editing the fucking ROM, which is bananas, or just, like, even Romancing Saga, the only reasons those got brought over is because they decided to do, like, pretty damn quality, like, remaster slash remakes with, like, you know, like, animated sprite work and just better UI, stuff like that, so, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll see more of these games in different forms like that, so. Uh, down to the last two emails here. Uh, first run is from Seleg, uh, who says, Hey, it's at Fishy Eater on Twitter, and I love JRPGs, but I feel threatened by most. I always took that Romancing Saga, or I always, or, whoops, sorry, I'm bad at reading. I always took that Romancing Saga was just a Final Fantasy bootleg, uh, or at most the Eve to Final Fantasy's Adam in our world of RPG maker descendants. Is it, uh, more interesting than that, uh, especially in the combat department? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of established through this conversation, like, what it has going on. Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> I think, like, definitely, like, it's obtuse, but it's interesting, so, like, <laughs> again. It does feel like a different track that the genre could have gone down if it had its priorities in different places. Yeah. Because it, it feels like a branch of non-linearity that is completely unique from what you think of when you think of non-linear RPGs, because most of those have, like, a real Western influence and, in like, computer role-playing game background. Yeah. Uh, this feels like a, a, a its own thing in so many different ways. Yeah. 
which considering is like pretty impressive, especially considering at the time, because just like, hey, that at the time the RPGs were going in like one very specific direction, and Saga was just like, nah, I'm doing, I'm gonna do my own thing, though. So. <laughs> yeah, like there is definitely a very specific design philosophy, which I guess you could probably argue is a bit of auteurship with Kawazu in terms of how the series is designed that is antithetical to everything. Like, I cannot really make a good comparison in either JRPGs or Western RPGs on, like, the kind of style that this game is like, because in both... It really feels like someone who's like, I want to tell a fantasy, like, tabletop-style story that's, like, single-player, but has that openness to it. Yeah. And just the versatility to do whatever the fuck it wants. Yeah. And sometimes that means becoming a weird capitalist megacorporation owner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for the email. This, uh, last one here, um... Hey, it's Derry. I keep hearing y'all talk about Saga, but don't know anything about it, so I hope listening to this podcast will convince me to dive into it. So, as far as questions, uh, what are your thoughts on Bravely Default 2, and do you have any expectations? I'm going to abstain from this, because I still haven't really given that series an honest go. Uh, any thoughts, Fang and Mark? I mean, I'm excited. I'd like to bring these and I thought Bravely Default was fine, so... Yeah, like, I... So here's my thing about, like, Bravely Default. I've not played Bravely Seconds, and I've not completed Bravely Default all the way. Um, I've not completed Defaults because of that infamous uh, story twist at towards the end of repeating the whole dang shebang. All, yep, like four, four times. times. Like <laughs> at that point, I was like, okay, I've had enough. Of the battle system, I'm good. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, if only that game had Saga Scarlet Grace's battle system, I could have probably tolerated it. Um, yeah, <laughs> just but, like Bravely Default's battle system, I think is actually very fun. But like, I'm doing like the same thing, like for like half of the playtime going through the same story beats I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it starts to get on you after a while, so I'm glad that Bravely Second they were just like, you know what, fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> but I am I am enthusiastic for Bra Bravely Default 2 because they brought Revo back. Yeah! Like, that... Like, the music for Bravely Default 1 is much better than Bravely Default... Uh, Sorry, Bravely Second. God, these names. God, fuck these yeah, names. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah, like they... Okay, like, <sighs> Bravely Default and Bravely Second is basically like, they did a Final Fantasy X and X-2 without having Final Fantasy X. It sucks. Yeah! <laughs> oh, it's so confusing. But, yeah, no, like, I didn't... I... In... Like, this might sound petty, but I did not buy Bravely Default or <laughs> fucking second! <laughs> oh, God! I did not buy second because, um, Revo didn't do the music. Like, I, I oh, respect yeah. I respect Supercell, but I the vibe that I got from the tracks was trying to live up to shoes that were way too big to begin with. So yeah, with, Bradley with, Seconds OST is like it's fine. It's not the best. Yeah, like it. Like 
What really gets to me is like the demo music compared to like the final music that's actually used in the game is a really interesting contrast because the final the final OST for um seconds is very it's really heavy on like the guitars which i feel like part of it yeah. is trying to live up to like things like um and their name was <laughs> in bravely yeah. default but not really articulating that hey it wasn't just like the heavy rock stuff that was good in default but also just the sheer musical variety and instruments like the flute and accordion and all that like yeah like god one thing that really bothers me about bravely second is that every single battle theme of that game is super heavy on the guitar and i'm just like yeah stop it yeah (laughs) it's good in moderation but don't overdo it yeah, don't um, overdo it, please. Yeah, so I feel like Revo coming back for Bravely Default 2 will probably be um, a jumping on point for me to get back into that sub-series. Yeah. Um, they also ask, are there any other smaller JRPG franchises that you wish got more love? Um, see, my problem is that a few years ago, I would have said Dragon Garden near... <laughs> And you can't say that anymore. Yep. And a few years before that, I would have said Megami Tensei, and you definitely can't, can't say, say that, that anymore. <laughs> so everything I like just keeps becoming big and popular. And yeah, yeah, I n- nothing I like is niche or weird or strange or, or needs the boost anymore. So like Saga, but like I guess I don't know. Like the problem too is is um because they specifically say like smaller jrpg franchises like i can think of a lot of like random one-off like obscure rpgs yeah. i like but i can't think of a lot of like rpg franchises yeah. I like that are obscure. so yeah. you know like my so my actual ac- answer to this is i would like to see another orishika game um, oh god <laughs> yeah that's um for listeners who don't know um orishika was a PS Vita JRPG, which has, similar to Romancing Saga 2, a generational system where the basic premise is um, your family gets cursed, and so you have to create children with the gods. Hello, Conception. Um, <laughs> to eventually get the curse lifted off of your family. So, um, that game is a very neat experience. I'm glad I got to play it, because there's really cool, like, similar to, like, Saga-ish, there is a cool mechanical bent to the game as a JRPG, where the main focus is, like, the family system, and so, like, um, it's really cool seeing how your family tree expands, and all of your characters that you get have like unique characteristics and like faces and stuff like that that feels really fleshed out and nuanced as like a sort of player driven story of like oh yeah this is my son this is my daughter i love them very much and they can beat the shit out of demons like i think that's pretty neat i would really love to see another one of those games or even just like um there was a psp version of actually the first game since there's two games in the series I learned after playing the second. Um, the first one never came out in the States, so 
I'd like to see that one come over too. Um, if only. Thing I'm honestly surprised your go-to was not immediately Shadow Hearts. I mean, I like Shadow Hearts a lot, but I have to admit there's also some problematic elements that <laughs> I'm not really too enthusiastic to see again. They don't treat homosexual men too well. I have to admit. Ha ha! Oopsie whoopsie. <laughs> yeah. Never knew about that with that series. Yeah. I'm not gonna cancel them outright, but like, yeah, yeah. In this day and age, I, I don't know. I I think I'm good just playing the originals every now and then. So. Um, oh my god. I I have a few that I thought of, and actually, I just I was thinking of a third, and then I lost it. Hold on, let me. Yeah, well, there's the series called Pokemon. No, <laughs> um, very obscure. Yeah, very obscure. Yeah, very obscure. Never played it. Um, fuck, I had it, and I, I was looking through a list just to kind of like spark in my mind, like what what was I thinking of, or what did I want to talk Glimmer. about? Glimmer. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, yes, Glimmer. Uh, Dark Cloud, I guess, is technically a franchise, even yeah. though there's only two oh, games. Yeah. But that, that'd be an interesting one to come back. I really enjoyed Dark I, Cloud 2 back in the day. I I really like Dark Cloud 2 a lot. Dark Cloud 1, I can live without, honestly, yeah. but I still... I There's still a place in my heart for that yeah. game, but I'm not going to go out here saying it's, like, the best thing ever. Honestly, Dark Cloud 2 has a lot of problems, too. Like, I, I know whenever I inevitably revisit that game, I'm gonna see a lot of blemishes I didn't see as a kid. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think that the idea of, like, oh, the town-building RPG with, like, just a bunch of shit to do and a lot of, like, you know, like, getting to build, like, a cool self, you know, town thing, and also there's, like, weird time travel nonsense and all, like, that's just an overall really fucking cool idea, and I love those games' art styles yeah. and... I I really wish we saw that series continue in some way, shape, or yeah. form. Uh, honestly, like that thing Game Freak was making, kind of looked like oh maybe it could be like a successor to that, and then apparently it fucking sucked and no one Black liked Black. it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. The other the other ones I would say, um, I'd say Front Mission, which is the most stereotypical like. <laughs> fucking mecha boy answer i know but... yeah that, that's a very rosin brand thing those games are dope um and i wish that we got official i, I honestly i wish the the ones that didn't get official translations got re-released so that like like i don't know man like i was looking at like hey what do i have to do to play through front mission 2 and it's like oh well there's this fan translation patch but also you need to download this uh, or, like, you need to go to this YouTube channel where someone subtitled some of the cutscenes that they couldn't add subtitles to in the actual game, and that YouTube channel apparently got copyright struck God. and is just gone now. So, like, sure, you can play through that game, but some of the, some of the like, FMVs aren't translated, and the only, like, translations of those are, like, kind of, like, gone now again, so you're kind of gonna need to just figure out what happened through context clues it's weird and i i really wish that because all of those games take place in like the same like hundred year span or so and kind of all deal with the same political like situations and fallout and groups and stuff like that uh and then front like front mission 5 takes place across a bunch of different time periods in the series chronology um and i just think it's like a very interesting world and a, a cool take on the um both the tactics um like 
RPG boom that we saw in the SNES and PS1 days. Uh, and also just, um, like, as a mecha game, I think they do some really interesting stuff that, uh, yeah, I just wish that series didn't become Left Alive or whatever the fuck that was that oh, yeah. I bought the special edition of and no one else bought. Um, I regret nothing. Uh, and also, I guess Ogre Battle, even though really I've only realistically played, like, the one, but I don't know. that Those games seem dope, and I always wish I spent more time with those and that they still existed. Oh. Oh, one, <clears throat> one other one that I can't believe I forgot to mention: Magic Pendul, um, and Graffiti Kingdom. Um, that series, I, um, I would really love to see that come back again. Um, they are the Pokemon to people who like to draw in their notebooks during class. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, bring back Monster Ranch. No, I can live without <laughs> Surpri- Monster Yeah, I surprisingly, they're actually making. Uh, actually, a new. Oh fuck! That's right. I forgot. What? That isn't. The, aren't they making another Monster Rancher thing? Uh, aren't they re-releasing that one? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah they yeah. are re-releasing that one. I was also gonna say they are, actually are making a new uh, Graffiti Kingdom game for mobile in Japan, which is really interesting and actually kind of cool because the main uh, mechanic in those games is that you can draw your character your, I guess, monsters in 3D, and you can have them fight and whatnot. The methods are different between games. But one thing that's really cool is and is sort of a result of, like, the gigantic time gap, which, I mean, it's similar to, like, Saga, where, like, there was, like, Minstrel Song and then, like, 10 years or something without another game. One yeah. thing- oh my fucking god, hold up. So y'all know the Monster Rancher thing was like, oh, you input a CD and it generated a thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So apparently now what they did is they added in a CD database where you can enter the name of titles uh, or the artist's name. Uh-huh. And it'll then take that information and then find the relevant monster. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. All right. <laughs> This is a lot to take in. <laughs> Are you then? I guess that's one solution to the problem. <laughs> but as I was saying, no, one thing cool about the new uh, Graffiti Kingdom is that, like, um, because of the advent of the artist internet, like, they've teamed up with, like, Pixiv and stuff like that to sort of, like, connect online so you can share like drawings and stuff oh which, that's neat that's yeah a which cool is idea. actually really cool like i think it's a really natural way to like modernize the series of like yeah like everyone loves sharing their art online these days so why not share their characters too so i really hope that comes over to the west because that would be very fun um oh fuck you know what i completely forgot about talking to what? Is um I get I think we, do y'all know that Moon game got announced yes! for yes! um yes yeah I feel like that is going to make some waves because I know the people that have played that game for for those of you who don't know Moon is a PS1 RPG that is like beloved in Japan and is being re released and coming out in English on Switch yeah. um and I think that's going to find... I think that's going to make waves over here just from what everyone I know and, like... Yeah. That game seems very ahead of its time in terms of storytelling. Yeah, so. like... Uh, like, from the vibe that I got from people was like, oh, yeah, this is very, like... um, 
Undertale-esque in terms of how yeah. it tackles its ideas. So, um, yeah, I'm very pumped for that one. Man, we really are living in a good age for RPGs, huh? Yeah. And, like, that's one I legitimately never heard about until I saw people, like, I, I saw the, like, JRPG diehards that, like, play the import games and shit freaking out on my timeline, like, oh my god, the world is finally gonna be able to play Moon and understand how genius it is, and I'm like, oh, okay. I've loved this genre for 20 years of my life and i've never heard of this before yeah so. <laughs> i've only i've only vaguely knew about it because i had to do games research back in school so <laughs> that one's an obscure one i'm glad it's coming over yeah mark do you have any uh obscure jrpg franchises uh, i have a couple okay so have y'all ever played rhapsody for the ps1 uh, i know of it I know of it. I've never given it the time Good of day. Lord, that used to be one of my games right there. <laughs> what what I found out like like three years ago was that that those games, which are like a combination between a musical and an RPG, they're pretty cute. But like, but I found out that that game has like two sequels, and I was like, okay. <laughs> oh shit! You know, Mark. When I was in Fargo a few weeks back, and I went to, a, I, as I do when I'm in an unfamiliar territory, I go and scope out the used local game store, if they have any, and try to support the business. Uh, they had a copy of this on sale on display. I recognize this cover art. Yeah. Like most PS1 JRPGs you find out in the wild, though, it was fucking ridiculously expensive, so I didn't even bother looking yeah, at dude, it. Yeah, dude, the but... PS1 version of that is super rare. Oh my god. But but yeah, like I really appreciate another one of those games, but it's probably not gonna happen because this was made by fucking NIS. <laughs> ah, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. And 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 NIS is kind of having an issue right now where they're kind of close to getting bankrupt. So, <laughs> oh man. But yeah, if they yeah, this Rhapsody is the first game in the Marl Kingdom series. Yeah, I did not know that was a fucking series because the. The first one was the only one we got. <laughs> God. And were the, the rest were never fan translated at so nope. either. I, I think the second okay. one has like one that's like in development, but I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, no, I really enjoyed the first Rhapsody game back in the day and I would really appreciate another one because a musical in an RPG is like a really unique idea that no one has ever done really before. <laughs> And I'm like, hey, if that came back nowadays, that'd probably be a big hit. <laughs> yeah. Derry also sent a follow-up email that says, P.S. I don't know if you guys are still podcasting. Oh, we are. You sent this two hours ago, Derry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <God. laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys are still podcasting, but I'm re-listening to Yik Picks at work. Fang, you joked about the final boss being the Shadow Lord, and when you think about it, Proto-Alex is a Gestalt Alex. <sighs> I know we referenced Yik Picks in the first episode, too, and I feel like there are probably people hopping on or discovering this podcast through whatever way people discover our podcast and um, don't know what the fuck Yik Picks is. Basically, <sighs> there's an indie game released earlier in the year. I just fucking saw that. One of our friends on Discord changed their name to Martin Sandwich. And I <laughs> uh, Resident Evil 3 Remake. It's a, it's a thing, folks. Um, no. Um, fuck that really <laughs> side. 
distracted me. I'm so mad. <laughs> Fuck you, Johnson. Um, no, we we um basically a really bad indie game came out last year called Yik Picks. Or fuck no, not called Yik Picks. Um, no, no, we're called, done. We're done. <laughs> yes, <laughs> called Yik a postmodern RPG, and we all decided to play through it chapter by chapter and record a podcast called Yik Picks, where we just all slowly died and became enemies instead of friends. Uh, go look up Yik Picks. That's Y I I K space P I C S, and uh, you can listen to like. You can listen to me. Luke. I want to say like twenty hours of us yeah, suffering we... over the course of like seven or we eight lose episodes. Our souls. I don't. Mark wasn't there, but I totally. Mark was yeah. smart enough to not play with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark, maybe that's the reason you haven't been on any of my podcasts until now. You're just smart. Exactly. I got too big yeah. of a brain. Honestly, it, it was all me. My brain is too small for this, man. <laughs> God. Well, thanks everyone for sending in the emails. And um, I don't know what we're going to do next time for podcast stuff. Because um, I know I have at least one or two pals that want to talk about Pokemon, and uh, hopefully we can do that before it becomes too irrelevant. But I don't know. We might have to wait till the after the holiday nonsense is done with everyone, and you know we have good time to record and all that. And also, I'm sure people are going to want to talk about Death Stranding when we're all. Fang, did you finish that yet? Um, that took a very grinding halt when Romancing Saga Three and Sar- Scarlet Grace came out. Dude, same. I like. I I really like. I had to. I had to make fucking choices with, like, what am I going to spend time on? And, like, between, like, wanting to, like, do video video stuff, play these for this podcast, and honestly, like, play Pokemon, which is just, like, a Pokemon is the easiest shit in the world to pick up and play. Like, I need to feel invested for Death Stranding if I feel like I want to give it the proper time. So I really need to haul ass and get back to Death Stranding. I want to beat it before the the year ends, hopefully, and I'm... I'm criminally behind most of the rest of our Discord playing it, so... Because it's a really fucking good game, too. I just want to get back yeah, to it. It's good. Um, yeah. I never... I'm not going to finish Three Houses before the year Oh, ends. yeah. I've I given up on that prospect. Like, I feel like I'm just... It's a good game. It's just fucking yeah, long. Man. Yeah. I'm just not in the right mindset. And I have this problem every time I play, like, an SRPG. Like, it's just... They're all really long, so it's easy yeah. to pull off. Yeah. Well, I think that about covers it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We recorded way more about, like, two games and random dis- discussion around the rest of the series than I thought we would. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> this is a long and, um Yeah, thanks, everyone. Have a good yeah. night. Good Bye. Night. Sleep tight. <laughs>